everybody. Welcome to Frame Trap. Today, I am joined by Daniel Bloodworth. Yo. Bradley Ellis. Hello. And I will be your host, Ben Moore. It is the first Frame Trap post E3. How are we all feeling? How are we feeling? How do we feel like we did? What did we see? How do we feel about the show? Just general E3 sentiments. Oh, I feel great about how we did and yeah. how we covered the show. I mean, obviously, we've taken notes for stuff to fix mm-hmm. before next year. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think everything went pretty well for what we had to deal with. And, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh. As far as the the games go, it, it's kind of interesting because there's not a lot that is coming at the end of this year. There's definitely some, and there there are certainly things to look forward to. But boy, spring 2020 looking real packed. Oh yeah, I yeah. would say yeah. Save your cash. Yeah, <laughs> save it up. Uh, Brett, how are you feeling? How was E3 for you, man? I'm um, feeling good. I was real tired during E3, as yeah. we all are, though. But yeah. It's worth it. Super fun. It was great. Absolutely. It is definitely worth it. It is a huge privilege going to E3, but it is the most intense time of the year. The most intense time. And I, I had this moment where I was like, oh, man, I, E3 was crazy last week. And it was like, no, that was the week before. Yeah. And you're just still kind of feeling the effects of E3. Uh, especially like, last week. E3 was crazy last week, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was crazy <laughs> last week, but me. the actual like show. us three, we were at the finish line of E3. At the end, it was just right. like us three on the desk right. and Ian and stuff and Damiani. Yeah. So we were here till the end, baby. It all it kind of feels like one really long day. Like it's hard to right. yeah. S- start yeah. and stop yeah, when yeah. E3 is going on. But what's crazy, and this this wasn't always the case. It's, it's really nice. I feel like before with E3... It's hard for me to pinpoint exactly when this was, but it wasn't that long ago. You would have E3, and it'd be really exciting, and then you'd just be kind of, like, patiently waiting for fall. Mm-hmm. Like, there just wasn't much happening until fall. That is not the case anymore. We have a lot of games to talk about, uh, some of which we've been anticipating for years. Yes. Uh, and one of those, Brad, you're in the process of reviewing it right now. It is Bloodstained yeah. Ritual of the Night. Yeah, uh, Igarashi's game, uh, the spiritual successor to the Metroidvanias that we all know and loved, and I'm happy to say, it does its job. Yeah, it's a worthy successor nice. to Symphony of the Night. It feels good playing it. Um, Brett, I've been very deep into another game that we'll talk about a little later on, uh, and I've only gotten to play a little over an hour of Bloodstained, mm-hmm. and even in that hour, I kind of went through this this arc where I was like. Boy, this really is just mm-hmm. what you would expect. Yes, and then it, that kind of turns into, but that's a really good thing. Yes, uh, this game is just doing what it was set out to do. Yeah, I'm I'm annoyed. I want to be playing more of it. Like, yeah, I, I just it's really fun. I'm trying to sneak in some time oh, late yeah, at yeah. night, but uh, it is it's very addicting. Um, but. When we say it's it's like Symphony of the Night, so for maybe people who aren't familiar, what are you what are you getting with Bloodstain? What's the appeal of Bloodstain? So Symphony of the Night was the first Castlevania game to adopt the Metroid uh, gameplay style of exploring environments, returning to new areas. Freeform Castlevanias uh, were just stages pretty much before, but this time you're fully exploring the castle. Bloodstain takes that idea. Kind of runs wild with it, adds a few things to separate it from Symphony of the Night. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in the structure of you exploring this castle, but just like the tools you have throughout your adventure. When we talk about Symphony of the Night, which is rightfully and commonly cited as one of the great, as one of the greatest video games of all time, mm-hmm. and as obviously it's not just Symphony of the Night, right? There are other 
there are many other Castlevania games in that style we're talking about. But when we're talking about this style, it's revered for a reason, and that comes from the enemy design, the the layout of the castle yeah. itself, the secrets you can find. On that level, and the nitty-gritty details, do you feel like Bloodstained is living up to that yes. legacy? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's got all of that. Okay. Have there been any standout moments or interactions? I would think what stood out to me is just how much... Uh, abilities you have to mess with. Mm -hmm. So in this game, you absorb demon shards that essentially give you new abilities, which are kind of like stealing. It almost reminds me of Mega Man. You defeat an enemy and you get some of their abilities. There is a staggering amount of abilities you have access to. So many tools to play with in that sense. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because it's not like it really holds that stuff back. Pretty much in the very beginning of the game, outside of the, the intro where it's tutorializing you, you kind of get a ton of stuff immediately. Yeah, like yeah. You have a ton of weapons to pick from. You have a shop. You can bring materials. You can craft things. You get a person that's giving you side quests. Um, and enemies are giving you shards pretty consistently. Yep. So it always feels like you have new yep, abilities yep, yep. to play with. And they're giant abilities where it's like, this will take all of your MP to smaller projectiles. And so you, and you got passive abilities. Yep. Like so much stuff. Yeah. And so I, I really love the freedom. I, I It's exciting to experiment, but it's also just so nice in the beginning of a game like this being like, I can play exactly how I want to play. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. Um, one of the concerns, I think, before the game was out was how it looks Yes. Uh, how, how do you think the I think it looks good. Version, I think okay. it turned out well for what they did. I, th- I know a lot of people have said that wasn't like sprite-based, kind of looking more like the past Castlevania games. Yeah. But I think it works really well in this because it does some interesting 3D perspective stuff sometimes that you, couldn't, you wouldn't be able to do with graphics like uh, sprites or anything like that. Some items actually change your outfit or like what you're wearing. You could change your hair, your outfit colors, a bunch of stuff like that, which would just be... Harder and wouldn't be as defined if you were doing a sprite-based, uh, I sure. think, character design. Um, you mentioned that b- it being 3D, you could they, they're kind of taking advantage of some s- specific 3D things. What things in particular are you so talking about? So it's like you're, you're running maybe and you go up a tower and it starts tilting the camera around with sure. you and stuff like that. Or you're going like a circle up somewhere and it rotates, stuff like that. Just kind of like little things here and there like that. Um Boss fights. How are the boss fights? Pretty good. There's a lot of bosses, which is nice. Um, a lot of them are actually... Well, I don't want to say it, but like, if you've played uh, Curse of the Moon, you'll kind of recognize some of them. You're mm. like, oh, okay. Just little nods, but they're pretty fun. Not going to like blow you away or anything like that, but they're really solid. I don't think any boss fight was pretty disappointing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Some were definitely more challenging than the others. The game does have a difficulty spike, I'd say, on a few of them. I see. That you kind of have to adjust with, but they're all pretty fun. So when when you're talking about these spikes, is it the the areas that you're finding these difficult bosses in? Are those areas really tough to get through, or is it just the bosses in particular? I mean, some areas definitely when you're going through them definitely ramp up, but there's Mm -hmm. a few like one boss in particular I can think of, kind of like one third of the way through the game where it just kind of accelerates from what you're used to. I would say and Mm. makes you pay attention a lot more, which is fine. Like I died on it like twice, and I was like, oh okay, but I learned from it. Just kind of keeps you in check, I guess, and gets you ready for what's going to come in the game. So I have to know, what is the Brad build? What shards are you rocking? What's your main (laughs) weapon? So uh, throughout the game, I experimented a lot with stuff because I'm reviewing it too. But there was one ability I had with me the entire, pretty much the entire game, which were essentially paintings that rotate you, almost like the Bible from Symphony of the Night. Mm -hmm. I could just spam it, and it was like constant damage to enemies. So 
I'd get in a spot where I'd be hitting the enemy with melee attacks, but then they'd also be hitting, just maxing out that damage. Yep. That's pretty much my build, I guess. But with weapons, I kind of experiment with everything. I used greatswords a lot and whips, I would say, the most. Yeah, I'm definitely... I, I feel like I always gravitate to greatswords in games. Yeah. But uh, the... So the two-handed axes are also classified yes. as greatswords. And uh, the one that I'm using right now, I found an 8-bit coin in a little secret oh, area. And sure. You can trade those in mm-hmm. for some nice weapons. And it's this giant axe and what's great is you can be under like an enemy will be on a platform and the arc of it will hit them and yes. it has like a little flame trail yeah a lot of the it, weapons especially later on have like unique properties to them like that to make you maybe make you choose one over the other not yeah. necessarily you may not be always looking at the damage i would say um so this game is voiced uh has a storyline going yes. on i, I want to talk about the voice acting in particular david hater yeah uh in uh, the game just snake yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that that moment where you're like, oh, what's up, Snake? Yeah, like, it's, it's just, just so <laughs> there. <laughs> Not in yeah. a bad way. I'm like, Not oh, in it's, a bad way it's at good all. to hear you again, Snake. Absolutely. Uh, but how has the, the voice acting been, the quality of it? Um, because I feel like you would want something... That has a little bit of cheese. Yeah. Um, I think it's not, pretty good. Not annoying. I mean, I don't know what people are expecting from voice acting from this game. Sure. But I was never annoyed with it or anything mm-hmm. like that. Nothing where I was just like, ugh, that's bad or anything like that. I was just like, oh, this is fine. Nothing's bugging me, really. Um, and the story. Yeah. Has the story been worthwhile? Um, I mean, to me, I don't play this game for the story, but there is a story to keep you going through it, I suppose. There's enough there to, like, little drops here and there to keep it interesting. It definitely has more story than, like, I'm always going to come back to something tonight because this is what this game is supposed to be, but it, it's, it definitely has more to it than that, I would say. There's sure. cool, like, little notes you could read to get, like, context for events and stuff like that, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad, do you think just this game kind of being a very prominent Kickstarter game yeah. and then it, it taking uh, a pretty reasonable amount of time to come out, yeah. um, are you, that you said they set out what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Do you personally feel like it was worth it? Would you want a Bloodstain 2? Are you in for DLC that they released down the line? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I was very pleased with how it turned out. Well, fantastic. Because uh, I, I always just think of Mighty Number no. Nine right. every time, mm. and I'm just like, man, people hated that game. Like, what a disappointment. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because you look at Bloodstained, and at least so far, it's been, oh man, like this is this is filling that hole yeah. in a way that it, it yeah. wasn't being filled. Like there, it's funny because there have been a bunch of other Metroidvania games, right? There have been a bunch of other Metroidvania games, but just all of the elements, the music, the way that it looks, the specific style, how the mechanics blend together—it's like ah, okay, like yeah. this is clearly being is worked good. on by that Castlevania lineage, and you can tell, yeah. and so it satisfies you in us in in the right mm-hmm. way. And even though there have been a bunch of other comparable games, like this hits the spot because it's coming from the source. Exactly. Um, and so that's really, really nice. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of nods to like past games too. That yeah. if you've played the other games, you'll definitely pick up on. Yeah. I want to play more. It's of it. great. Check mm-hmm. it out. Check it uh, out. <laughs> my only complaint so far is there's some performance issues I'd run into. Like the game will kind of just stop for a second when like when i load through zones and maybe i hit a guy too fast it might freeze for a quick second interesting uh one of the boss fights just kind of glitched out on me and uh he just was like stuck in an area he's not supposed to be i was still able to finish it but it was just goofy yeah but just like few technical hiccups here and there and you're on ps4 right correct okay i'm i'm on xbox and i haven't noticed 
anything yet, but I'll, I'll keep yeah. an eye out. Uh, another game that came out around the madness of E3, and I sort of, I didn't finish it entirely in one setting, but it was mostly in one setting, mm-hmm. and that kind of speaks to how much fun I was having, is Cadence of Hyrule. Yeah. Uh, which I am pretty excited to talk about. And what's nice is we all have some mm-hmm. experience yeah. with Cadence of Hyrule. And so I've finished it. Brad, you're about halfway through it with two dungeons down. Yep. And then Blood, you've just kind of messed around in the beginning, right? Yeah, I've I've beaten one boss. I've gotten the, the maracas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, still still working my way through a little bit. The musical puns that they do with the classic Zelda bosses. Oh, pretty, yeah. Pretty great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of in this game that is pretty great. So if you're not familiar with what it is, and I think a lot of people are, is it's it's Crypt of the Nectar Dancer, but set in Hyrule with a with a Legend of Zelda skin, and that ends up mattering in a lot of cool ways. Uh, it really feels like a Zelda game. Yeah, I was surprised. Which is great. Uh, so you'll be going through and you'll be fighting uh, classic Zelda enemies, and you'll get done with an area and you'll look on your map and you're like, wait, there's something still here, and you'll have a uh, wall to bomb and you'll go in there and there'll be mm-hmm. more enemies to fight. Um, and <clears throat> pretty early on, you can pick between either Link or Zelda. So you start a tutorial as Cadence from Crypt of the Necrodancer, and then you can pick either Link or Zelda. And I actually had a really interesting experience. And like the flow of this game was so weird to me because I started it, and I just was not... It, it just wasn't quite clicking, mm-hmm. yet, and I was having a hard time. And I started as Zelda... And I was not getting very far. It felt like I just wasn't in step with what the game wanted to be. And so I started a brand new game. And this time I chose Link. And there was definitely a little bit of a hurdle. But then I reached this point, And it kind of happens like after you get enough hearts to kind of tank everything. But also once you just understand the all systems. the enemies. Yeah, once you understand the systems. Once you get the right weapon. Yes. Uh, that helps a lot. So once I got a spear. spear. I was going to say spear right, helps. The spear is amazing. Um, and once I got a few hearts, like then I then it just like steamrolled the mm-hmm. rest of the game. Yeah. Like it just wasn't an issue anymore. There's like 20, 25 minutes of just kind of learning the game and understanding it. Getting yeah. the flow. But once you do, then you're like, oh, okay, full steam ahead. Right. Um, and when I when I saw the credits for it, I was like, I, I wish I actually wished I had had more moments of struggle mm-hmm. um, because yeah, once I once I kind of got in tune with it, it just was not a big deal at all. Um, but even in spite of that, I think there's enough going on in this game that yeah. I really encourage people to to check it out. Like yeah. I couldn't stop playing it. That's mm-hmm. how much fun I was having, and. The combat is really satisfying, but the combat is really satisfying because it's it's you have those moments where it can feel really frenetic. Like you'll be in a dungeon. Like dungeons are good examples. Dungeons are very combat focused. There's yes. not a lot of no, puzzles, puzzles solving going on in dungeons, but you'll be in these very tiny rooms and you'll have a bunch of enemies surrounding you and you kind of just have to dismantle it like a puzzle where it's like, okay, I know this guy's going to move diagonal, so I'm going to move down here and then these other guys are going to swarm me and then I'm going to do a bop, bop, hit both of them and just doing it to the beat of this music, it feels so good and so satisfying. And there's, outside of Crypt of the Necrodancer, you're not going to get an action RPG that is like this. um, That feels so, so, so good. And the music just deserves all the praise it's in the world. Good. So they're, they're taking good. the classic Zelda music um, and mashing it together and making it sound very familiar but different at the same time. And if you enjoy Zelda, the music is just... It's worth it for the music alone. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but there's also this. Yeah, fantastic I mean, game. like just the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're talking about mashing together. I just one on the beach and like realizing that like one moment I'm hearing something from Link's Awakening and then like a second later I'm hearing something Wind Waker and right. it's like it's all. Like, it all makes sense. It's all thematically similar, yeah. but it just weaves it together just effortlessly. And, like, I don't know where the, the break is necessarily between them. Right. And <clears throat> it's th- there's so much love and care that went into this where you just feel rewarded as a fan of the series. And it's just it's very minor things, but you'll hear this glorious music and then you'll like pause to bring up your map and then it will immediately f- seamlessly transition into like an 8-bit rendition mm-hmm. or a 16-bit rendition of that song and then you'll go out of the map um, and it'll seamlessly transition. Yeah, just like a lot of iconic areas from Zelda games too that you'll right. appreciate, like Kakariko Village, Zora stuff, Gerudo stuff. Right, um, and it is it is not a long game. I probably finished it in five or six hours, and so you're talking about these classic areas. It's so funny, because I probably played it five or six hours, and I'm not wondering you're that close. I'm struggling more than you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you have, uh, like, Kakariko Village, or uh, you, you run into a lot of, like, Zelda tribes that you would expect, but no area drags on too long. I mean, no. you can go through a dungeon in yeah. 15, 20 minutes, maybe, mm-hmm. um, and that I think that's what makes it so addicting, is... There's always this incredible sense of progression, and you'll go through, and you'll you'll beat the dungeon, and you'll get your heart container, and you'll get one of the instruments that you'll need to open up Hyrule Castle, but <clears throat> you maybe find a cave that you just bombed open or revealed with your sword or something, like cut down a bush, and you'll find a pretty substantial item uh, that you'll need to progress. And so you're, you're always finding something, whether it's a new weapon or a temporary power-up mm-hmm. or whatever. And I think the durability system works really well with the game. And so you have items like your rings and your boots mm. um, where they'll provide you a benefit. And your torch uh, is another good example. So like you may get boots that it's like, okay, this will increase your defense or this ring will heal you when you attack enemies, something like that. But they never last that long. And so you're always kind of on the hunt for new, new items because you're constantly yeah. replacing them. And then you'll run into situations where it's like, I really like this ring, but it's at half durability. So do I want to switch it to this other ring that isn't quite as good or I don't like it as much, but it has full durability? And so just throughout the entire game, you're constantly making decisions like yeah. that. Um, and they just did a really good job of including classic Zelda things. Um, so you'll, you'll go into different towns and one of them will have an archery contest that you can do. Mm. Um, and there'll be multiple rewards that you can get from yeah. that. Yeah. There's bomb shoe bowling. There's a bomb shoe bowling. Which is yep. great. And that's really fun. Um, and the way that they include enemies from the original Crypt of the Necrodancer, mm-hmm. just as small nods, is really, really good. But, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's really fantastic fun. fantastic game. The, o- the only thing is I, I wish, like I said, once it clicked, it... I, there was a little bit more challenge, but um, there's a challenge mode oh. where I believe it is you just get one life. So when oh, you die, okay. that's it. Cool. Um, which is cool. There you go. But Two playable characters, Then there's like too. a double beat or something like that after you beat it? A double beat? I'm not sure. Oh, or it's just faster? Yeah, I, I, huh. I think there's something oh, like okay. that. But I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I just kind of overheard that's cool. that somewhere. Yeah. I know... There's a way, so in the options, you can actually turn off the need to step in time with right. the beat. Um, because what happens is if you actually miss a beat, it like, you, 
it, whatever action you're trying to do on the beat and you miss it, like that won't come out. So if you try to attack off beat, you that attack won't come out and you'll leave yourself vulnerable. Right. So but you can time, stay in position and wait for enemies. Yes. You can. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Which and you can even bounce something... against walls into the beat and wait for them to come. Sorry. Yeah, but that's, yeah that's something that like I've kind of used in my favors. Like, all right, let this guy yep. come to me mm-hmm. um, and then just kind of like lead him on a little chase of like, all right, I'm going to move forward and then hit you and then move forward and then hit you and then move forward and then hit you. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I know you can turn off that requirement. I did not do that, and I know a lot of people have done that just mm-hmm. to get used to the game or, or to yeah. get used to enemy behaviors, and I think that is totally fine. Sure. I'm also kind of happy that I didn't do that because I feel like if oh, I spent a lot of time with it off... To me, that's what makes this game really unique, too, right, is that right, whole right, me- right. Like yeah. it's all built around this mechanic. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I think my I think my kind of bigger struggle is just kind of... And, and maybe this is just for games in general, is just trying to learn to read what everything is doing. You know, and I might be focused on one enemy and then not seeing what the other enemies are mm. about to crowd around me and that kind of thing. Um, another thing, I guess, that is worth mentioning is, is how useful the items can be, particularly mm-hmm. bombs. Yeah. yeah. Um, just because they do so much damage and can hit so many enemies at once. And so... Yeah, you'll definitely have moments where you'll run into some big dudes and you're like, okay, I don't know exactly what mm-hmm. these guys are going to do, bombs, but I'm going to drop a couple of bombs and we'll just take care of the situation. And so that's Yeah, nice. you can use the grappling hook to like get rid of their shields and stuff too, which is cool. Yeah, I didn't get the grappling hook. And so the the world map is randomized when you play it. It's not going to be the same for mm-hmm. everybody. Um, and the order in which you get items is different as well. And so I didn't get the grappling hook to like the very end. Oh, okay. Um, and I did not. Did I you do the Zora dungeon last? No, I uh, did okay. the uh, I guess it's Gerudo just p- purely random than what you get. Okay, dungeon. Cool. Yeah, that, yeah. The t- I noticed that when I was watching Damiani play on stream. It's like, oh, your lost woods are over there. Okay, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I guess the last thing I want to say that isn't specific to Cadence of Hyrule, but I just this collaboration between Zelda and Crypto the Necromancer worked out so phenomenally well. Like this was such a treat to yeah. play through that now I'm just hungry for more of it. Mm-hmm. I want to see more prominent or just really talented indie developers take it on Nintendo. get these licenses and, and see what they can do with them. Sure, yeah. Uh, obviously, I think you need to take a lot of care with what goes where. Yes. But I think this this sort of idea, this sort of mentality uh, could really bear wonderful fruit, and I just want to see a yeah. lot more of it. I want to see Nintendo give Donkey Kong to Platinum Games. Let them go crazy. <laughs> Can you imagine a Donkey Kong uh, like, action game? Exactly. It would be so funny. But... I'm thinking... Think of the Donkey Kong combos. I'm thinking like in the style of Mad World. So it's black and white. Sure, and Donkey yeah. Kong is just like violently <laughs> ripping people yeah. apart. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking of like air juggles with Donkey Kong. Sure. Sure. Shooting bananas, dude. Donkey Kong on a motorcycle? Hell yeah. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Um, Blood, another game that has been getting uh, a lot of hype, and I've played some of it, and you've played more of it, is Crash Team Racing. Yeah, man. Uh, Super excited and super impressed with this. And, you know, uh, we've talked about it on other shows and stuff, but I I missed it the first time around. I didn't have a PlayStation back then, and I didn't, you know, even really hear about it until years later. Uh, but playing this remake, like, I'm super fun. I'm very impressed. Uh, I think one of the things, 
one of the, the the terms you'll hear go around a lot is is skill based. Yeah. And I think it's very, very true. Like, it is so accurate. Yeah, nice. because number one, it's one of those games, which it can be a pet peeve of mine sometimes. Uh, it's one of those games that really pushes you to like, no, you got to get first. Like if you mm-hmm. want to, if you want to beat this track, you got to get mm-hmm. first, or you just do it again. It was the very first adventure most raid adventure mode race in the game, and I haven't played Crash Team Racing since the PS One days, and so like by memory, a lot of my memory for it had pretty much completely right. evaporated, and it was intense all the way until the end, and just like you win by fractions of a second. Yeah. Um, and how, yeah, you're right, skill-based, where it's like, no, like, you not hitting those 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 drifts or those jumps in a, in a good way will really cost you. Like, this is an intense game in a great, kind of exciting way. Cool. It, yeah. was, it was refreshing. It does, it does really feel like you're, you're fighting for position. And, and one of the things I've noticed, too, is that, like, a lot, like, you know how, like, Mario Kart, you can kind of expect the field to be sort of spread out. So that like okay you know these guys are over here maybe there'll be like two guys battling it out or whatever but Crash Team Racing a lot of the tracks I've noticed that guys are really like there's just a group of, of AI drivers just like all bunched up together so if you get hit then you get passed up by four or five guys mm. but similarly if you can break ahead if you can chain your boosts together right. then you can pass them all on the right turn and 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 then just try to keep ahead of them. Maybe this wasn't the case for you, but it was definitely the case for me, just having Mario Kart so ingrained mm. in my brain and, and that boosting system. Here, doing the boost where you really have to pay attention. Like, you have to hit it, another button yeah. with the jump and then hit the opposite button to do also, the boost. Also, the angle of how you go into a drift is very different, so right. it takes a little bit of adjustment to, like, okay, if I push the stick too soon, I'm going to end up drifting the wrong way. Right, and but then you have to wait... so. Th- like when you're drifting, a meter is filling up and it goes up fast, but you have to hit it at the right time. Yeah. And so there's a lot to pay attention to. Um, something that I, I don't know how, what your method is, but when I'm trying to do the boost, there's a meter in the bottom right. I actually find that, that like it takes my eyes too far away right. from the track. And so I actually just pay attention to when it goes, uh, the like the black smoke appears. Yeah, so you got the black smoke, and then also the tires will turn red. Mm, okay. Uh, so yeah, so you can watch for those those visual cues on the driver the driver itself. Um, the yeah, and and the track layouts are like really good. Uh, there's one that I did kind of recently where like you're going through these sewers and stuff, and there's a lot of like there's these high banks so you can get up on top of those but you can also like really drift through the center like through the water um and uh and then the other thing uh is the with the adventure mode you can go back to uh courses after you after you've beaten them the first time mm-hmm. and they've got uh these like these CTR challenges. And so basically it's, it's kind of like Donkey Kong Country. So Ooh. you'll have the letters out there. So there'll be a C, a T, and an R that you have to collect and win the race. <laughs> and the locations of some of them like really make you start scratching your head because uh, just going back to the first course, there's this, there's this dock that you go under and there is a T up on top of that dock. And I'm like, what the, what the crap? Like how... You're supposed to get up up there. How do I get up there? And, and so I'm like searching around the whole course, looking for some hole, some tunnel. There's nothing, absolutely nothing. 
And then what it ends up being is there's this shortcut I had no idea existed to where it's essentially there's this there's like this uh, inlet, this like water, this like little puddle or pond or whatever. And if you go through that, there's essentially like a ramp. So if you ramp mm. off the edge of that pond, then you can jump onto this cliff on the other side, and then you can go around to that T. And getting around to that T is kind of crappy. It, like it, it, it hurts your time. But then now you know about this shortcut, you can just bypass this whole thing where you're going straight across rather than around this cliff. Mm. And so it's a really cool way of like teaching you that these shortcuts even exist yeah. that otherwise you wouldn't have any clue. Damn. And I think that's another thing that um, I don't feel like was in Mario Kart until much later. Is just that whole idea of like getting the height and getting the boost off of jumps like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm going to jump off of a jump and then get a speed boost. Mm-hmm. And that feels really good. Um, I think that everything like looks really good. There's a whole lot of like characters unlock and progression that like mm. I haven't even gotten to yet. Yeah, you're you're getting coins which you can spend on like customization stuff. Cool. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of car customization. And I, I am playing the classic mode right now. So basically once you start, it's like it's, it's a way the original game was made. So like when you start with a character, you're pretty much stuck with them through the whole adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are uh, there are a lot of other characters and stuff uh, for playing cool. the other modes. and, and So you, have, you haven't gotten probably to mess around with too many other characters and right. how they race. Okay, so which character did you pick? I just went with, with Crash. Okay. Just, yeah. that's, pr- that's who I've played so far as yeah. well. Um, I put up a, a little video on Twitter too because the, the facial animations were so funny to <laughs> me. Because I like turned the, the card around and I started like pushing the gas and I like, just saw it, like every time I'd push the gas, he'd stick his tongue out. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's then, pretty good. And then, and then, and then, if you hold it down, then like it gets out further, and then like moves from side to side and starts flapping. And, like, there's just a lot of great animation there for something that you you're really not even really gonna see, like unless yeah. you're in like a replay or something. But this is not relevant to Crash Team Racing. But I just gotta say, mm-hmm. that Splatoon shirt is dope. Yeah, it's just really good. Yeah, this, it's a really that's good from shirt. the Uniqlo mm-hmm. uh, sponsorship. Yeah, which sounded like I was just trying to. To plug. <laughs> to plug our sponsor, but I, ju- I just really like the, yeah, really the well, shirt. What was cool, though, is the guy, the guy that, that set up the sponsorship, he's been a, you know, a viewer and a patron for a while. Mm-hmm. And so when he set it up, he was like, you know, everyone, like, go through the collection and, like, find something that you like. And so mm-hmm. I saw the Splatoon shirts coming up and just, like, really, like, had to get picky. Like, which, okay, which one? Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you done any online at all with CTR yet? I haven't yet, okay. no. Uh, I've just really been doing adventure mode. Um I I've gotten past like the first boss. Have you done the boss battles? I have not done the boss battles. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. So there is this uh, one of your weapons is this these TNT box, and so essentially what happens is if you hit the TNT box and it gets stuck on your head and a yes. timer goes off until it explodes. If you jump a lot, yeah, you can like knock it off. I really. Love that mechanic. Like, the panic that it induces yeah. when you get one of those TNT boxes on you is pretty great, yeah. Uh, but the boss fight, the first boss fight, uh, this guy named Ripper Roo, mm-hmm. he just starts dropping them like crazy. And so it, there's a lot of uh, work that you have to do to avoid, like, running into those boxes constantly. Uh, just giving it a spin, there was definitely this pretty substantial learning curve with me and CTR. And yeah. so... 
I guess did you did you go through that process as well? Uh, did you have to repeat a lot of races? Like how long did it take you until you got comfortable? Are you comfortable now? I mean, I think I'm getting more comfortable with it. I, mm-hmm. I like I said, I think the biggest the biggest trick really is learning to work with that actual angle of the slide mm-hmm. and, and working that into how you get around curves in those tracks. Yeah, and I think once you once you get that timing down and that angle down, the hitting the boosts off isn't as hard. Uh, it, it's just really like yeah. Just getting that initial mechanic of okay, I'm gonna jump, and then I'm gonna land, and then I'm gonna slide into it. When I think about Mario Kart, whenever there's a new Mario Kart out, I feel like I just kind of slide into it so easily. Like it just, it's it's like, yep, I'm not struggling with this at all. Like whatever new things you introduce, just feels so natural, uh, for better or for worse. Like you just kind of have that that riding a bike sensation with Mario Kart, whereas Crash Team Racing is definitely going for a very different, more skill-based thing. Do you have a preference between the two? Is there some some things you would like to take from one, bring them over to the other, and vice versa? Um, I mean, in terms of single player, I think Crash Team Racing is definitely more fun to play mm-hmm. just be- because you have to master all these mechanics and constantly, you know, uh, there's another uh, track that's kind of... In a way, almost like a motocross kind of thing. It's like really muddy and stormy, and, and there's a lot of these uh, like dirt hills and stuff to jump off of, and you really have to time when you're going to hit your jumps to like get the maximum amount of boost out of it. And and that's great. There's a lot of skill-based stuff there on single player. What I think probably is going to end up being the case in multiplayer is it makes it a lot less accessible for people to just mm-hmm. jump in and compete with friends and family who haven't been playing and right. so then you just you know if you've been playing it a lot you're just kind of smoking everyone and then you feel bad you know whereas mario kart the mechanics are simple enough that you know even if people aren't making the most of it they can still compete the items make it really easy for sure. you to catch up uh, and so it, that's probably where some of that trade-off comes from um crash has just had this Resurgence. Incredible resurgence between the Insane Trilogy um, and and now Crash Team Racing. Uh, do you hope for or expect, like, what's the next step for Crash in your mind? I hope now that, yeah, that they've done all this, that it, it can lead to, you know, having the goodwill. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Crash, like, there were a lot of other Crash sequels that people essentially didn't care about. You know, they're it didn't even feel like the publisher cared that much about them. They just like, okay, this is a franchise that sells to kids and families, and so yeah. let's put it out there uh, and, and just get get that audience. But I think now with them bringing back the trilogy and them doing such a good job on that and with CTR, uh, I'm hoping that that gives them the freedom to make something new right. and you know be just as uh, good and tightly controlled and. And then to like also introduce some some good new ideas. Uh, something that I want to bring up just because it's funny is when you boot up Crash Team Racing for the first time, you have to scroll through like pages upon pages of it's this. It's forty two pages for the the license <laughs> agreement, and then twenty eight pages for something else afterwards. What, what? is going on? Yeah, and you're yeah, just and sitting you there to, like you have holding to hit the shoulder it, button. Yeah. Why through yeah. every page? Why? Because Activision, I don't know. And it's just. 
It's just especially funny for like this goofy, colorful game. You're sitting there just scrolling like through the this strictest, user like yeah, yeah agreement yeah. you ever have to make in any video game. Oh, Activision. <laughs> and it, and it's it's silly because it's kind of like age gates, right? It's like who actually believes that people yeah, are really exactly. like reading this stuff? Can you imagine just buying this for your kid? And they're like eight, and they just boot up the game, and there's like sixty pages of just pages they gotta go through. Yep. It's like, what is this? Um, yeah, and they have some interesting things coming up too. With uh, there's like a Grand Prix or something in a couple of weeks. Mm, some cool additional content, and I think Season. like if you get through it, like you unlock an extra course. Crash is a service. Yeah, <laughs> Crash is a service. That's right, baby. <laughs> um, well, let's keep let's keep the train rolling. Uh, a game that I am really excited to talk about. That's that's finally upon us. It's here. here. In North America is Judgment, mm. mm-hmm. um, and so this is from the the Yakuza people. For those of you who don't know, and in a lot of ways is very much a Yakuza game. So yeah. you're you're set in Kamurocho, so you're set in the same <laughs> Surprise. place, and so the layout is very familiar. Things are where you expect them yeah. to be, by and large. Don Quixote is where Don Quixote is, mm-hmm. um, and so a lot of it is falling into place. Um, and the combat system is is very similar in a lot of ways. Heat actions? Well. They're not called heat actions. They're called the action, EX actions. They're heat actions, But yes, yeah. I yeah. mean, if you just called them heat actions, like, there would be no point in correcting you because mm-hmm. they serve the same purpose. Yes. Um, and, like, some of them are, like, just the same. Like, you just kick oh, the really? guy in the face. That's funny. When he's on the ground. You, okay. like, jump on him with the bike. It's, yeah. It's a Yakuza game. And are so, there any lawyer-specific mm-hmm. heat actions? Do you get, like, no. a judge's gavel or anything? Briefcase. <laughs> no, it's funny um, because the guy that you're playing as, the main character, Yagami, he definitely has those moments where you'll be having conversations with people, and it's like, okay, I need to, like, f- ask the right question so they'll give me the right information. And so you'll have dialogue options pop up, and it's like, okay, what what sequence of questions should I ask to get to where I want to be? And if you actually do that correctly you'll get bonus SP. Oh, okay. And SP, the way that it works is you build that up and then you can acquire new skills and things like that. And so there are plenty of moments where you feel like an investigator, but when you're in combat, that's kind of out the window (laughs) where it's like I'm jumping off walls and doing attacks and like grabbing traffic cones and beating them in the face. Like you're not Mm -hmm. very uh, lawyery, I suppose, in combat. But that's okay. Okay. is well presented. So I think that's the the way I want to frame this discussion with Judgment is, yes, it is very, very familiar, but I think it really makes a case for itself. It doesn't just feel like Yakuza with a new skin, and I think both mechanically it does enough to separate itself, and narratively I think it does enough Mm. to separate itself. I think the danger that you run into... When you tell a story as as long as Judgment is, I'm about at the end of the game, and I, I you could probably it, you could spend a lot longer than this, but you can probably see the main story through in like 25 hours, maybe 30, somewhere around there, uh, is a rough estimate. And so it's telling a fairly lengthy story, comparable to many other Yakuza games. And when you do that, it's like okay, Yakuza, Yakuza has really like refined itself and really created these characters that are iconic. Mm-hmm. And so you're going against something that people already love and are well-established if you're familiar with these types of games, which I am. 
And I think I can happily say that, like, the cast of characters here compare favorably oh. to your Kiryus, to your Majimas. Maybe, maybe not, like, quite as good, but the relationships that they're selling are really wonderful. Um, and Yagami himself is great because he's somebody that's kind of haunted by, the mis- by this mistake from the past. And the way that they write him is he's somebody who is haunted by the past, but he's not one of those characters that, like, moans about it all the time. Yeah. Like, he's not sitting in his apartment and is like, oh, man, I'm such a failure. Like, he's a man of purpose. He's a man of action. Like, there are things that make him uncomfortable. I think there are things that are hard for him to face. But he's always out there doing stuff. He's a very active character. He's a man of action. So I think that makes him fun to be around. Yeah. And he has this kind of buddy cop vibe with this guy named Kaito. And... You just can't help but think of Michael Huber. Like, just this very <laughs> big guy that is like, he's just, if Yagami is all about action, Kaido is all about, like, I'm going to go in and just beat the crap out of everybody. Yeah, Michael like, Huber. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huber doesn't beat the crap out of everybody, but. He just loves characters like that. Right. Just that kind of, like, hell yeah, let's do this. Hell, big big boy. Sort of vibe. And their their interactions are really great, but despite Kaido kind of falling into that archetype, there's a lot of history and depth there with him as well that's really fun to uncover. And you're trying to uncover this mystery, and what's great about it is it it presents these as cases, right? And you think the scope of the case is going to be like this, where it's like, okay, there are all these people that are getting murdered and their eyes are getting gouged out. Oh, Why is this happening? Yeah. So there are these... There are these uh, Yakuza members who are getting their eyes gouged out. They're being dumped in alleyways. Targeted, yeah. And you're like, why is this happening? Where the case goes from there is it's it's not just about that. That is one piece of a bigger hole, and then that hole is part of an even bigger hole. And it's pretty methodical and in a nice slow burn where as you're uncovering those secrets it's really fun figuring that stuff out and and seeing what the twists are going to be and how everything is connected and and finding out that characters are maybe more tied into things than you initially uh expected which is really great does it have the eating mechanics it does yeah and so that's Mm. something that i think other yakuza games have done well but it's it's a thing that you want to be done well in this type of game, and Judgment really nails, where in an open-world game, it's nice when it feels like everything flows into everything else. And so if you go to a restaurant and you eat because you just want to recover your health, maybe you just got in a fight and somebody took off like 25% of your health, and you're like, I'm going to go grab some sushi. Mm-hmm. Well, if you try new sushi, you'll get skill points. It's like, hey, you tried this thing. On your way to go get sushi, you might run into a friend event. Like, this guy will have this little smiley face above him, and he'll have a relationship that you can uh, build up. And then that'll increase your city reputation. And then when that city reputation goes up, you get access to more things. You'll get access to more side quests. City rep. Right. And so it's like you, you kind of have this chain of events where it's like, I go to this place to recover my health. That gets me more skill points. I increase my reputation. I can do more side quests. And so... That like, you end up just doing everything because mm-hmm. everything is value. You go to the batting cages, you'll get some skill points for doing that if you just want to have fun, or like that might be something that you do with a date that you have, um, and 
she's like, hey, we went to the arcade last time. Or you might say you'll have like the the options of going to the arcade and doing the claw machine or going to the batting cages or doing darts. And you go and you do those things. And it's like not only are you doing this awesome mini game, but you're increasing the relationship with her and getting skill points all the while. Um, and this is something that you can say about other Yakuza games, but just the sense, like, covering these games for a really long time and, and a strong sense that I'm getting from Judgment is they just keep getting better at mm-hmm. it. They just keep getting better at weaving all of these different components that they have together into a package that, like, you're kind of having fun no matter which way you're Cool. Do, going about it. And so, like, even if you're just going through the main story, like, you're bound to run into a bunch of things along the way. Like, another mechanic is you'll get a text message from this poor guy, and he's like, oh, man, there are these, like, really nasty gang members that are beating up me and my friends. And you'll see on the map these purple dots of these bigger, tougher enemies that you can go take out. And mm-hmm. then if you go and you do that, and this happens pretty regularly throughout the game that guy will be like, hey, thanks for saving us, man. And he'll drop off stuff cool, cool. Um, hmm. at your apartment. Does it still have, like, that um, that Yakuza tone of, like, serious moments but also really goofy moments that Absolutely. work well? <laughs> yes, yes. Like uh, dancing so, baby man and stuff like that? Yes. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say the main story is very, very serious, right? Uh, haunted by the past. Yeah. like. Essentially, the, the narrative is like, oh, man, like, I believe that I was doing the right thing and that had terrible consequences. So pretty heavy stuff. But then, Brad, there's a series of side quests. <laughs> it's like, I think it's like the perverted trio or something, something like that. Terrible trio. And it's like these perverts who are like running around the city doing perverted things. And so one of them is like stealing panties from around the city. And then another one is like grabbing butts around the city. Oh my goodness. And his name is Ass Ketchum. Ass Ketchum. That's right. Great translation. Wow. I love yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Obviously paying like a, a joke on Ash Ketchum, yes. the Pokemon character, yes. but just like, and it's really funny and you'll have tons of moments like that. Um, I would say my biggest criticism of the game and, and the part where, I'm not disappointed, but it's a problem that I've run into with other Yakuza games, and I feel like the storytelling could be benefited here, is when you do make that choice where you're like, I want to go do the main story, it feels like it has moments where it's definitely spinning its wheels. Yes. And so you'll be like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing, and then it will like force you into a side quest. And it's not that the side quest that you're doing is bad. In fact, it's hilarious. One of them is... Like, you go into the office, like, somebody calls you and they're like, you need to come to the office really quickly. Something terrible has happened. And it's just you trying to figure out, like, who ate somebody's dessert. And so you have to, like, go around the office and, like, zoom (laughs) in on things and ask people questions. And it becomes, and it's really funny and charming. But there are just definitely moments where you're like, "I'm, I'm ready to move on. And the game is not letting that happen. And sometimes that happens in the form of side quests which is okay, but then there'll be other times where it's like, I just need to wait for this person to call me. And so mm. you're just kind of running around waiting to get that call, and it doesn't take too long. It's not that bad. right? Um, or there'll be moments where it's like, hey, go to this point, and you go to this point, and the interaction is just very, very brief, and now it's like, okay, now run to the other side of the city. And so I think it could be a tighter story tell a tighter story and i think they could maybe eliminate some of these roadblocks 
that they're throwing in your way. And it happens all, it's not like, oh, it was just one bad chapter. Like this happens pretty regularly throughout the game. But I think it's cushioned by the fact that there is so much to do in the world um, and that so much of it is really, really fun. Um, you have this drone that you use uh, in your investigations throughout the storyline. You can do drone races and you can like upgrade the drone and give it different parts. There's this pretty fun kind of Mario Party-esque, oh. except you're just playing by yourself uh, in the courses that I've done. It's this VR thing, and so mm. you like put on these VR goggles and you try to go across this game board and different spaces trigger different events. Um, that's neat. That's cool. Yeah. Is and there the car racing? The little mini cars? Not to, No, not ah, that. No. Damn. But you do get the drone racing, which okay. kind of fills in for that. Okay. Um, that was like my favorite thing to do. Yeah, so you, you have a replacement, basically. Okay. You have the arcade. You have a lot of stuff that you would expect. And you being a detective, I think, also adds some variety. Sure, That yeah. you don't get in the main storyline of, of, of Yakuza games in the same way. Whereas, like, you're not just talking and punching. There's a lot of that. But it's like, oh, okay, I need to pick this lock, and there's different ways you can cool. pick locks. Like I said, you're you're having dialogue options um, throughout the story that I think keep you just a little bit more invested yeah, yeah, in the yeah. conversation. You're like, I need to pay attention so I can pick the right things. Um, there will be times where we'll need to don a disguise. <laughs> there will be times where you need to investigate where it's like, okay, I'm looking for this thing in this room, and so you'll go into first-person mode and pick different things. And so there's, there's a lot going on. Sweet. Um, I think the new setting, th- or not the new setting, the new profession, you being a detective, oh, okay. not the new setting. I was like, yeah, new yeah. setting, excuse me? Yeah, <laughs> you being a detective, the new characters, uh, really does liven it up in a pretty good way. Nice. Um, it's definitely cut from that cloth. There's a lot more similar than not, but I think the new things oh, there sure. are, are definitely cool. Um, there was one more thing that I wanted to say. Oh, um... Yeah, there's some fun... It's very light, but there's some customization stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can get, like, records like uh, from doing different things, and you can play that in your apartment. Oh, you get that's a pinball cool. machine yeah. in your apartment, which is pretty cool. You can place, like, little items on top of, like, your, your closet. Um, can you change so your outfits of, and stuff? So there are disguises that you oh, can okay, wear. okay, cool. Um, yeah, and those get... There's some good ones. There's some good ones. <laughs> so there'll be times where you need to sneak into an area. I haven't played a disguise. prediction. There'll be yeah. a little Majima one or a Kazuma one. That's my prediction. I have not seen that yet. Damn. So That's endgame. That maybe. is maybe like, it's like 100% yeah, achievement. That's 100%. Do the costumes feel like you're wearing a costume or do they feel like you just changed <laughs> your character model? Um, they feel like you're, you're, you're wearing a costume. But like some of them... Okay. There's one where you just put on a beanie and sunglasses. Like, you have the same jeans and shoes and everything. And you look almost identical. And some of the, the, the tone it takes with that is like, oh, man, they're never going to notice me that. That's funny. <laughs> um, the, the new mechanics do go a long way. I do think there are times where they kind of overdo it a little bit. And um, one that I think is overused and not that fun to begin with is you're, you're tailing people a lot. Oh, and yeah. uh, the way that that works is... Usually <clears throat> not that fun in games. No, not that, and it's, it's fine here at first, but then like some of the tailing things get like they're too long or they have too many of them too close together. And uh, you'll be following somebody and there's this meter up above and they'll like be walking down the look, street and they'll constantly turn them, around yeah, and look behind yeah. them. And... Sometimes you don't know what you can hide behind until you get kind of close to it. And so 
it's like, okay, well, where do I hide? I hide. Okay, they're looking around. They're doing the thing. And they're turning about around. And it just pretty much plays the same way all the time. And so it, it's okay, but it's a mechanic that I think is maybe just slightly overused yes. in, in judgment. Cool. Um, but, yeah, I recommended. Sounds I, fun, man. It is very fun. Um, despite, like, maybe the storytelling could stand to be a little bit tighter, but I do think... When it does go in on the story, it's been really engaging. Um, Sweet. And, and a, That's like, good. If you, if you come into these things for the story, I don't think you'll be too disappointed here. Um, but yeah, kind of on the opposite end of that, Daniel Bloodworth, you're not beating up dudes. Oh, before we move on, I should talk a little bit about the combat. Yeah. Um, so there are styles, but oh, unlike okay. Yakuza 0, where you can switch between four different ones, there are two here. There's Tiger, where it's focused on like one-on-one. Um, and honestly, the one that you'll probably end up using the most just because it's very powerful. But then you also have Crane, which is better at dealing with multiple enemies, so you'll get these like really wide kicks. Um, but the animations are great. Nice. Um, there's a nice weight to the combat. It feels good. Um, and they have this new mechanic called Mortal Wound, which I actually really like. And it's, it's okay. annoying when it doesn't go in your favor, but... Enemies will kind of charge up with energy, and they'll do these attacks where they'll kind of glow for a second. And if you get hit by those attacks specifically, it'll actually just cleave off, like, a section of maximum health. So even if you heal, you won't be able to get that health back. And so it's punishing you for um, not using the right defense. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is really cool for a couple of different reasons. The first is that, like, once you get comfortable with Yakuza combat, you can kind of feel like every fight is the same or you're just sort of mashing yes. your way through square, it. square, square, triangle. Right. It doesn't feel very tactical. This adds a nice little tactical layer for... So, you can either just avoid getting hit by these, these like, mortal wound attacks, or what you can do is you can kind of go into this burst mode where it's burning your EX gauge, your heat action mm-hmm. gauge, and then if you get hit... While in that mode, you won't take moral wounds. Got it. But that's burning all your meter, so you're not going to be able to do high damaging EX yes. attacks. And so it's a nice trade-off and something that you have to think about, like, how do I want to tackle this situation? If you do get hit by a moral wound, the other nice thing about it is it's really expensive to treat. So it's like 20,000 oh, yen damn. just to heal at one time. And if you want to buy the items that you can use when you're in battle, these medical kits, those are really expensive too. So it's like 40000 for a small one, 80000 for a medium one, something mm. like that. And so it just, it, it's also making money more valuable. Yes. And so anything to kind of make you think a bit more strategically to make money more valuable, good in my opinion. And uh, so I think it's a, a nice addition. I love Yakuza games, but my least favorite part is usually the boss fights. Mm-hmm. I think they're kind of boring a lot of times. Yeah. How, how do they stack up this time? Very similar in a lot of ways, but I would say that mortal wound mechanic... Just adds an extra layer. Yeah, just adds an extra layer, so I feel like you're forced to play it a bit more cautiously than you would in the past. They also really heavily limit um, recovery items, so you can only carry a small handful at first, and you actually have to spend skill points to increase that. Oh, that's cool. you You can't... You eventually can, once you kind of spec things out, but... um. It's, yeah, I feel like they're just nudging you a little bit to, 
it, it was, it's not that it was mindless before, but now there's just more strategy. Yeah, are they like as long as previous ones too? The boss, none of the boss fights have been like egregiously long. Okay. In any, anyways, I still have to do the final boss gotcha. fight, but cool. Yeah, it hasn't been it hasn't been too bad. Cool, cool. Sounds hype. Yeah, look forward to that. Blood, what I was saying before, you've been playing some Forza Lego expansion, yeah. which was uh, definitely an E3 moment, but how has the actual game been? Yeah, because I think that's the thing when you see it at E3, or e- even if you play the demo, it's just like that introductory race, and it's like, okay, there's one race, and like you get kind of a quick tour of the map, but that's that's it, you know. But this is like, no, this is a full, huge map. Uh, and it's really cool just to look at the map itself and just see all the stuff. So they've got, like, a great big speedway at the top. They've got this huge desert with, like, dinosaur bones on one side and, like, this crashed spaceship on the other. Nice. Um, there's, like, this beach full of pirate ships. Mm, that's cool. Uh, there's, like, this huge uh, town that you can drive around and just, like, smash through trees and things. And uh, there's these fields of the, the plastic flowers there's even like a, uh there's one of the challenges you do a lot of different challenges uh and one of the challenges to like smash through like a couple hundred flowers or something like that at a certain amount yeah. of time how's the the brick breaking sound when you're crashing into these legos that's the that's one of the best things okay it's it's, it's one of those things where like Oh, I, I kind of took this turn wrong, but I kind of want to stay here for a second because <laughs> I'm just like mowing down these trees or whatever and like hearing the Lego sound. Um, and uh, after you've done a few things, I think it's after you get your first upgrade. So kind of the way that they've uh, structured progression on top of the regular Forza progression is uh, you're, you, you do these challenges, you do races and stuff, and you, and you get bricks. You get a certain amount of bricks from each of these things. And so you've got... They've got a space for your house, which is a big thing in Forza Horizon 4 is, is earning houses. Mm-hmm. But in the Lego expansion, there's not a house there. It's just this empty lot. And so you get enough bricks, and then you can build a house. And then the next thing, you get enough bricks to build the Ferrari, and then you get enough bricks to build a garage. And then I'm not sure what comes after that. The Ferrari is like the last thing I got last night. So when you're when you're building these these houses and these garages... Because it's Lego, like, is it? Are you just building like this recipe thing where it's like it's going to be the same yeah, every you're, time? Yeah, you're not really building it. Okay. It's just like you've done enough challenges for the helicopter to just like drop the thing onto the pad. Okay, so, so you're not seeing it get assembled brick by brick either. No, it just kind of comes really, down no. as one thing. All right, but it is cool to like drive around it and take a close look and, and see like all the little details and stuff they have in there. Like, even though it's Lego, like they've managed to somehow like create this mailbox where you've got like two letters shoved into it that are sticking out of the mailbox uh so there's there's just a lot of great detail throughout same thing with like car damage you wouldn't necessarily expect car damage in lego but yeah yeah, your bumper can pop off and you you know (laughs) so if that happens in a race like somebody pops off your lego bumper is that bumper like still hanging out on the track when you come back around or does it? It disappear? might be oh, okay. like the like a lot of the Lego stuff. When you smash it uh, to a certain distance, like it'll still be there. Uh, you can get far enough away to where you come back and things respawn, of course. Uh, but it doesn't. It's not like the the Warner Brothers Telltale games um, where like things just kind of instantly vanish as soon as you bust them. There's a, they seem to stick around for quite a bit, and you can shove them and push them around for a while. Mm-hmm. Are you still a normal human in a Lego car, or are you a Lego avatar? 
When you're in the Lego car, you have a Lego avatar. Nice. Uh, Sweet. The funny thing is, is in cockpit view, because their arms are so far apart, they don't really grab the steering <laughs> wheel. So you can't even see the arms. You just see the steering wheel moving That's left funny. and right. Uh, but it's funny that there's like, oh, they 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 put all the same views, or the same cockpit views that you would get in a normal car. And you can also drive the normal cars uh, in the Lego expansion if you want. Oh, there's cool. not like a restriction to being in a Lego car. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of them to earn. I think that it's probably just like three or four actual Lego cars. Uh, so you start off in a Mini, and then there's the Ferrari. And the, one of the first things when you, you get the Ferrari is you get to challenge a real Ferrari F40. And that was the thing that I kind of capped off my stream with because it was like pretty hard. Because mm-hmm. at some point, the f- real Ferrari would just take off, and like I, I don't even know how to catch up to you. So I took a lot of... Uh, retries and a little bit of cheesing and playing dirty <laughs> to finally beat that thing. <laughs> it was a stream, so I was like, all it's right, I, I don't need to do this the pro, you know, oh, sure. perfect exact way. How are you uh, cheesing it? Uh, like using the restarts and rewinds. Oh, gotcha. and Yeah, just finding that spot. Like, okay, th- this turn makes all the difference, so I got to get around this turn perfectly. So, I guess I wouldn't expect... A narrative from this, but is there any sort of context for why everything is Lego in the Forza Horizon world? Uh, well, you do go area. to a new area. It's mm-hmm. Lego Valley. Uh, they talk. They they throw some things out there like Lego technology and like they sent us the kits and that kind of thing. But they don't really. There's not like a story story to it. Sure. Um, what what is kind of the scope of this thing? Like, how much is there to do? There's a lot to do. Uh, I I still had like tons of routes and things that I hadn't done. Uh, I it'd be kind of hard for me to compare it to like the full map, but I would say it's it's probably easily like a third of the size of the mm-hmm. normal map. Like there there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of uh, you know you've got your your stunt things going on, your your danger signs. There's also these like these ramps that kind of like. Um, Kind of like a Hot Wheels car or whatever. Like when you hit the ramp, it'll like accelerate you up the ramp to launch you. Um, there's at some point, yeah. After you, yeah. After you get the house built down, then there are these uh, purple horizon bricks that they put throughout the map, so you can smash through those. Uh, the amount of challenges, like when you first get to that challenge screen and you just see like all the, the different things that are available, is like it's intimidating at first. <laughs> yeah. It's just this huge spread of different things that you can do. And some, but it's in true Horizon fashion, like it lets you kind of go in different directions. So it's like, oh, if you want to do stunts, do stunts. If you want to do races, do races. If you just want to go and find cool spots, then there's, you know, one. You know, it's like find the dinosaur graveyard. Okay. Uh, that looks sort of like it on the map. I'll go there and see if I can spot it. I want to find the dinosaur graveyard. Which of those buckets, I think, most identifies you? Like, which one do you gravitate to the most? I mean, when I starting out, like, just the discovery sure. aspect of it, you know, it, I, it's... Good call. It's a cool map. There's a lot of neat spots. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't even... Like, there's a, a section that you go through in the opening race that's, like, a ghost forest. And, like... Now I'm thinking, man, like, I didn't even get to the ghost forest. I saw a ghost around the lighthouse, but I don't know where the ghost forest is. So get back to that. I know there's also, like, a soccer stadium that I didn't get to. Uh, But it's really just 
it's done so well and, and it's cool to just go around the city and like look at buildings and definitely uh there's not there's still kind of this mix of like r- like real stuff with lego stuff on top of it but there is a lot of lego stuff and and palm trees and things to smash through there's certain parts of the roads that are like the lego base that you're car kind of makes like a uh, grinding sound like, when you yeah, drive over like gravel it almost or something, yeah, yeah. Kind of like gravel uh and there's a lot there it is kind of funny in a way though that it's mechanically it's it's still the same game like mm-hmm. you're still driving the same way and and having to go through races with the same amount of depth it's just a you know a, a very different looking uh yeah area the hot wheels expansion was forza horizon 3 right yeah how and you did that yeah how does this compare to that. I mean, it's it's very different because the Hot Wheels thing focused a lot on having those long orange tracks. Right. And so that kind of it kind of has a little bit of a trade-off because it those limit you in terms of exploring. Yeah. You don't just get to go anywhere like you're on these you're tracks. You're on Hot Wheels track, yeah. Yeah. And there are spaces outside of that, but a lot of the the world is kind of just these, you know, long uh, single uh, lanes that you're going through. The other thing that they did with them, which was kind of cool, is that you could you could actually customize how those were put together. So you could take a section of the road and like swap it out with a like a a, a turn or, or sure. a straight or whatever you wanted to. Um, uh, whereas Lego, it's it's just like a whole new area. So it's wide open, and you can go kind of wherever you want and drive across fields. Oh, one thing that's also pretty cool is uh, it preserves the whole seasons aspect. So right mm-hmm. now, it's winter in Forza Horizon 4. You get to Lego. It's winter mm-hmm. in Lego as well. Cool. So they've thought through all of those little things in terms of how they're building that world. Is there any element of Lego building in this expansion, or is it mostly... I haven't seen just the style. Just building yeah. itself okay. now. Yeah, I, I think it's the, the only thing is just that sense of... Seeing your house compound grow as you uh, get through more challenges and progress. Does the Legoland change the radio at all? No. Okay, so that's the same. Yeah, there's the the theme song or whatever when you did that first race, but that's oh, is awesome. everything awesome is awesome. Yeah. 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 Okay. But it sounds really fun. Yeah, it Much is really like fun. Much like Forza Horizon Four. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and that's kind of part of it. Is it's like it just reminds you of like how good Forza mm-hmm. Horizon Four actually <laughs> yeah. is. That is a game that some someday I'd love <laughs> to play a lot more of, and a pile of many games I'd yes. love to play a lot more of. Uh, we ready for some caught in a frame trap action? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. What? What triggered it this time is the demons actually like strongly hate Lego. They're Lincoln Logs demons, oh, which, like, is, yeah, so whatever, I guess, yeah. with them. How can you even reason with that? Dumb demons. Uh, the game that we're going to do, <laughs> the game that we're going to do this time Lincoln is Logs. when was the last one? And so I have a bunch of series oh, here. Okay. Oh, I did. I've got five different series. And you have to tell me when the last game came out. And okay. so the, the only stipulation is I'm not including, like, game collections. I'm not including... Remakes, okay. and I am not including remasters. So it is not necessarily the last numbered sequel, but kind of the last prominent. This matters to mm-hmm. this universe game. Um, 
But before we get to the game, this Cotter Frame Trap is brought to you by some wonderful sponsors. The first being Greg the Dark Knight Kettering. Thank you, Greg. Next, we have Zoteg. Do you play Final Fantasy XIV? Are you on the Crystal Data Center? Search at Zoteg, that is X-O-T-I-G, on Twitter for a link to an EZA Crystal Discord server. Shadowbringers, real soon, next week. Oh, yeah. Brad's excited. Thank you, Zoteg. After that, we've got JoJo's Dent Co. Thank you, JoJo's Dent Co. Next, we have Accounts Payable, who once again is going to give us a free shout-out. Is there anything we want to give a shout-out to? I actually have one. Mm. Oh. Um, by the time you're watching this, it is very likely that uh, Summer Games Done Quick is happening. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, which is not only super fun to watch, but promotes a great cause. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Thank you, Accounts Payable, for letting me shout that out. Shout-out. Shout-out. After that, we have Gift of Heaven. Gift of Heaven is a free 3DS RPG which strives to be as funny as Earthbound, efficient as Chrono Trigger, and epic as Final Fantasy VI. Gift of Heaven quadruples every data limit of RPG Maker FES using passwords to unite four game files as one bold explosion. OM Hawkstelter is cooking the rip roar in full blast. Token Potter Forrest Gump chamomile, you deserve to eat. And them Hawkstelters don't skip on the trip. Gift of Heaven's 43-minute promotional short film, Symphonia Anathema, is now available on the official Gift of Heaven YouTube channel. You can download the prologue August 7th via the RPG Maker FES 3DS app. The first dungeon, which I just completed, will kill you several times as you learn because the 25 different enemy groups demand a larger number of strategies than a traditional JRPG dungeon. Uh, the goal is to maximize enemy variety, minimize repetition, and kick your butt. Thank you, Gift of Heaven. Mm. Next, we have Blue. Mm. Thank you, Blue. Uh, for our last regular sponsor, we have Jesse Blue, who says, Hello, allies. It's my birthday this month and also the first anniversary of when I discovered a small band of adventurers led by Dungeon Master Ben Moore. Mm. In September of last year, I became a patron of Easy Allies, and over the past year, I have enjoyed watching them and seeing them reach for their dreams. This, in turn, has inspired me to reach for my own dream, so after many years of feeling unfulfilled in my career, I am pleased to say I am finally preparing to cut a demo to get work as a voiceover actor. Nice. I decided that for my birthday, I wanted to give back to EZA by sponsoring Frame Trap for the month of June. I also wanted to give each of you a chance to shout out to someone in your life that has inspired you to go after your dream. Family member, friend, teacher, anybody. And I want to say thank you to all nine allies for working together to bring joy to their viewers in a world where, especially in the entertainment industry, love and respect are in short supply. I have to say, I can't wait someday to be voicing a game you are discussing. Anybody that, that has uh, inspired you or, or been in your corner during tough times? Oh, can I shout out both my parents? Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. they've always backed me up no matter what and always let me follow my dreams, always helped me out any way they could. That's, that's Super awesome. supportive, yep. Parent Ellis love. Yeah. Uh, I was wrong. That is not our last regular sponsor. Our last regular sponsor is Circean Studios. Uh, last but certainly not least, Circean Studios, creators of the hand-drawn mobile fighting game, Kansui Fighter. Kansui Fighter features 10 playable characters, a story mode with over three hours of content, local multiplayer, arcade, and training modes. Putting the power of a 90 Ares fighter in your pocket, Kansui Fighter is available in early access today at kansuifighter.com early. That is K-O-N-S-U-I F-I-G-H-T-E-R dot com slash early. To celebrate our sponsorship with Frametrap and the month of E3, early access will be 30% off during the month of June. Let the tournament of the mind begin. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, everybody. 
Thank you, thank you. And now it is time for our mega sponsor, Heroic Replicas. The fine folks at Heroic Replicas design and fabricate true to form, high quality replicas and props. From cosplay to keepsakes or all metal creations, Heroic Replicas can make something special for you. Summer Games Done Quick 2019 is happening this week. Uh, it started on June 23rd. It's a week-long speedrunning live streaming charity event that benefits uh, Doctors Without Borders. Heroic Replicas provided the grand prize to their donation Whoa. drive. Nice. If you donate over a certain amount over the course of the week, you'll get an entry. The grand prize is a replica Master Sword and an all-metal Hylian Shield, which nice. is pretty sick. Uh, check out Summer Games Done Quick, and thank you, Heroic Replicas. Thank you. All right, we ready to play? Yes. Mm-hmm. We ready to play. First one is when... Was the last... Oh, you just have to get the year right. Okay. Um, and so both of you will probably yeah. guess a year. Uh, if both of you get it right, I'll give you both a point. And then if neither of you get it right, I'll give it to who, has, who was ever closer. Okay. When was the last Dino Crisis? <laughs> That's what we're starting off with. Uh, 2002. 2001. Brad was a little bit closer. It was 2003. Dino uh, Crisis 3. Oh, man. When was the last Psychonauts game? Oh, Psychonauts. Oh. Um, 2016? Oh, the last Psychonauts game. There was a VR game, I think. 2017? Brad is right, it's 2017. Uh, yes. I know it's Blood, Blood got you on the right train of thought. Yeah, thank you, Blood. But then, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it initially came out on PlayStation VR in 2017. Brad's ahead by two. Blood still has a chance to come back by telling me when was the last Jack and Daxter game? Oh, Jack and Daxter. This, one, this one's a little tricky. Mm, I think. I'll say 2003. Okay. 2006. Blood is Closer, uh, Jack and Daxter, The Lost Frontier, not oh. counting the collection. It was a PSP game. Oh, Came out right. in 2009. Wait, was there the, there was the Jack game, right? Is that the one? There was a Daxter game. Oh, sorry. That was before Lost okay. Frontier. Dude, there was two? I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> Jack and Daxter, Lost Frontier, 2009, PSP. Damn. Blood was on the board. When was the last Left 4 Dead game? Left 4 Dead. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. Oh, Left 4 Dead. 2012. Hmm. I was going to go to 2012. I'll do it. You're both going 2012. Yeah. You're both wrong. It's 2009. Oh, wow. What? Isn't that long? 2009. Left 4 Dead 2. Good lord. Your reaction is like making me doubt myself, but I swear that's what it was. No, I mean, it totally could be. All right, I'm not going to give either of you a point for that right, one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last, when was the last Max Payne game? 2000. Uh, come on, 2015? Bloodworth. 2013? Blood is closer. It was 2012 for Max wow, Payne. Wow, was that 30. long ago? Good lord. That is a long time ago. I have good news and bad news. The bad news is neither one of you won. The good news is that you both won. You tied. All right. <laughs> um, 
Which means you get to do my favorite thing for this segment. You both get to break us out of the frame trap. Whether You have to come up with some sort of combination attack mm. to get us out of here. Mm-mm-mm. I don't know, Blowers, what you? Um, I'm going to set up a volleyball oh, for okay. you to spike. Okay. All right? Yeah. Yeah! Spiked. I just, that's... I just envision that as a sports anime, mm-hmm. just so you know. <laughs> Intended. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up right now just to make sure. Yeah, Left 4 Dead. Yeah, Left 4 Dead Two. There it is. God, 2000 what nine? November seventeenth, two thousand nine. So they came wow. out PC back to and back Xbox then. 360. I think they were like a year apart or two. Yeah, because I remember I we were doing previews Left 4 Dead, of the first Left 4 Dead GT. It was a year apart. So the first Left 4 Dead was two thousand eight. Two thousand eight, November seventeenth. Wow. So same month. Then nothing for ten years. Yeah, we said it multiple times on Frame Trap, but Dude, I uh, missed Left 4 Dead. With a new one, Back for Blood. Their new game, yeah, yeah. Not Left 4 Dead specifically, but, but yeah, their new game. Yeah. All right, we have a couple more games to talk about. Um, one that I don't think is going to take too long, uh, but I do want to bring up. I I just finished it, and then Brad, you also finished it. Mm-hmm. A Plague Tale Innocence, yeah. um, something we talked about last time on Frame. I've got it sitting on top of my PS4. <laughs> <laughs> it's ready. Yeah, part of the reason I want to bring it back up is just to like stress to people. I know it's a busy time. I know there's a lot of games coming out competing for your attention, but I really think this is a good one. Yeah, it's good, um, and it's not that long. No, um, Brad, I don't think my memory's a little blurry, but I don't think when I talked about it, you talked about it. Mm, maybe I don't remember. I don't know. Could have been. Yeah. Um, but having played all the way through it, what was your general impression of it? Uh, cool environments. Mm-hmm. I like the characters. The some of the encounters are a little, little, little goofy. Little okay. not what? smooth. I would say. Sure. Like there's a couple moments in the game where you have to like. So you don't really like physically attack really anyone in this game in the sense of you actually getting up to them. You have a sling you <laughs> mostly use for most of the game to well, do Well, you have that stuff that you combat. can get in their faces. Yeah, but it's not about. like when you're in a combat encounter, right. you're using the sling and sometimes it's just like you get rushed by a bunch of guys and like yeah. you have to hit them in the head most of the time. And it's not the smoothest thing, but it can get the job done. I totally see where you're coming from there. I actually felt like the combat was really solid and worked for... Like <clears throat> the sling and how they the, the stealth mechanics that they were going for, I thought it was actually pretty great until maybe the very end where that's when they start like throwing yes, waves of guys. You just at get you. like waves of guys at you, yeah. and it sometimes it feels like this isn't quite as like fast or snappy as you need it to mm-hmm. be. And so I feel like I'm getting through this through trial yeah. and error rather than like they're like okay, th- a guy spawns there now. Yeah. Now I know it wasn't too bad, but no. uh, yeah, I totally see where you're coming from. How did you feel about the story? It's a very story focused game. Uh, I liked it. They, uh, I, I think it has really good character moments. You're pretty much following these two characters the whole game, brother yeah. and sister. Mm-hmm. You meet characters along the way. I like a lot of them. You meet some other characters I think are really cool. Like I said, I think the coolest part for me about the game is just going through the environments. It's like France in like the 1300s, something yes. like that. So you're going through what you would expect in France, like mm-hmm. a, like a towns. You're going through battlefields. You're going through ruined castles. It's all really cool going through sweet churches. Right. It's mostly a stealth game. It's really fun stealth around through stuff. It's not like the the like most intense stealth game I'd say out there, but it's pretty satisfying going through there. But the coolest part about the game is the rats. I would say like yeah. that's the standout feature. Mm-hmm. Pretty much throughout the game, you're avoiding like rats who have like essentially the black plague, I guess, and it's taking over. 
you're using fire to like maneuver through all these rats. It's just really cool moments of like you going through like swarms of rats where death is literally a foot away from you the whole time as you're just moving through areas of fire. Just cool little stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I mentioned last time in Frame Trap, but I want to emphasize now that I've finished the game is just how tight it is. Like, um, They'll, they'll introduce the rats, and it's like, hey, if you walk into these rats, you will just be immediately murdered, so don't do that. Yes. And like Brad said, you have to use flame to kind of manipulate them down certain paths, but they keep adding wrinkles to this stuff in a really great way. You start using them as weapons, where it's like, oh, hey, an enemy is holding a, 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 lantern. a lantern. You break that lantern, it'll kill that it's enemy. swarmed, yeah. And just... It becomes kind of part of your combat repertoire, but you're never like fighting too much or stealthing too much. It's like, okay, you'll do some fighting and then you'll do some sneaking and then there'll be a new kind of puzzle that you'll have to mm-hmm. solve. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, hey, you're manipulating light again, but you're manipulating yeah. with a brand new type really of Really light puzzle elements. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> it's a very, it's a pretty small cast of characters, what I, yeah. which I like. Um, because they do kind of keep introducing people throughout the story, but it never goes overboard, and everybody feels like they have a strong purpose, um, and it feels like everybody gets at least some time to develop in a meaningful way, uh, which I really like. And I think the story is uh, pretty effective sure. uh, as well. I It's n- not maybe the most unpredictable thing in the world, no. but um, where they end up feels... Believable. Um, I, sure. I don't want to get too much into the ending, but uh, it, it was definitely a realistic kind of outlook that I that I appreciated. Um, and yeah, just a kind of fun, yeah, interesting, affecting game that came out of nowhere. Which yeah, really it's cool. So. Check it out. It's not too long. No, well, I, mm, it's probably like eight hours. Yeah, it's probably about eight right. or ten, maybe. Um, I guess my a, a criticism that I do have is, is you can get these materials throughout the world and then you can go to these benches and upgrade yourself and you can get an upgrade where you don't need, need benches. This, but but yeah. I don't think the upgrades are like that big of no. a deal. Like <laughs> the sling thing, you could upgrade your sling, but yeah. I feel like that doesn't really matter until the end of the game where you're fighting like the waves of enemies, I guess. Right, and so the upgrades kind of fall into this position where I don't think it's fair to call them absolutely worthless, but they're not like so substantial. Like there weren't moments where I was like, thank God for yeah. that upgrade. Um, and so it's a system that is there that doesn't really feel like it's adding a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sure. would probably be my, my yeah. one of my bigger totally. criticisms of the game. Yeah. Our last game, Daniel Bloodworth, is F1 2019, uh, which you said you haven't gotten to play a whole lot of. No. But you're very impressed with. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, also slammed with like three racing games at the same time this week. It's like, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so F1... Um, if you didn't catch my my E3 impressions, I've been I've been out of the loop on F1 for several years, uh, and so some of this stuff maybe you know a culmination of things that they've been doing over the past couple of years. And it's it's so frustrating because yeah. uh, Blood, you'll like come in to the office and we'll all be wanting to talk about F1 with you, <laughs> and it's like, come on, get caught up. Uh, but uh, it, it's interesting because I was sort of you know I was there when. Um, when Codemasters first started doing the F1 series uh, and f- first got that license. And at first, like, they want, they had this big ambitious idea of, okay, you know, you're, you're, you're going to race, but you're also going to live the life of the driver. And, and I just don't think they really had the resources to, like, pull that all off at, at first. And so, like, you sat it through some of these, like, boring, like, press interview things, and, and it was all, like, kind of stiff. And, and so they backed away from that for a couple of years, 
um, and just focused on the racing. And now it, this stuff is like it's back, and it actually feels it actually feels good, and it feels worthwhile, and it and actually it like sort of brings that human element back into the series. So you're not just in just like this stale simulator kind of experience. And so where it starts off is well, these kind of canned scenarios with as you starting off as a Formula Two driver, and uh, and you're the first two races are actually starting off midway through the race because like something happened, and you you have to react to that. And so um, the first one that you do, uh, you, your turbo's gone out, and so your your car's not running at optimum level, and your uh, your team is telling you on the radio, it's like. Hey, you've got to let your teammate pass and 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 get around you because it's going to be the best thing for the team. And so mm-hmm. and you have like in in the cockpit, you have that choice as to whether or not to to let them pass. And if you go like a little bit without doing it, they're like, "Hey, like I know you don't want to do this, but like honestly, like your your car it's it's not going to make it through." And so and then you you do let them pass and then, you know, probably no matter what, you know, if you do it soon enough, that allows your teammate to actually get ahead of everyone and, yeah. and win the race, and then you and now the 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 kind of the press interview thing is is back, but they feel more again like more natural, more human. Like they even have like this moment where the the interviewer likes like okay, so sort of stand like this and like look at the camera and like it just it feels like a real setup mm-hmm. for doing an interview. And based on how you um, based on how you answer the questions, it kind of puts points towards. Uh, whether you're more of a, a showman or more of a sportsman-like driver, okay, and that influences how the different F1 teams later on, when you choose what team to be a part of, uh, how they respond to you and how much like value and negotiating ability that you have. Okay, and, so if if they like your vibe, you yeah. could get more money from them, right? Or yeah, yeah or other perks and, and that sort of thing. But it doesn't necessarily eliminate those options. So even if they, they're right. not really gelling with you, you can still choose that path. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, and then, That's pretty awesome. Uh, and then there's also, uh, so the second scenario, there's like a rival driver that kind of cuts you off and breaks your wing. And then so like you have to try to like get ahead and, and get back in front of that driver anyways. And what's interesting after that race is you actually have this interaction with him in the pits where he totally blames you for ramming into him, and he's upset because, like, you know, you stole his points because they gave him a penalty and all of this stuff, and so it kind of sets up this rivalry. And then, but you also have your teammate there defending you and talking. He's like, "Hey, don't let him get under your skin." Do this F one visual novel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is a visual, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, so that's all really good, um, and then. Um, you get into um, uh, yeah, you get you get past all of that, and when you're picking your team again, it's not just like a standard. There is like a standard menu, but like they actually bring you into like two months later. You like walk into your agent's office and you really discuss your options with your agent, and you get to look through and see all the different teams and see what their expectations are. And it's like it's like okay, if you try to sign up for one of the you know the premier teams, they're gonna expect you to like get at least third place like right away and yeah. then you kind of like work mm-hmm. your way down the ranks of not only again the the vibe that those teams are looking for 
but like where their expectations are and sort of in a way it's almost like setting a difficulty level <laughs> for you fr- right off the start. This is so awesome because I don't know anything about F1 and just getting into it seems very intimidating, but this game, like I, I wouldn't even necessarily need to approach it from that angle. Like I just want to see what decisions I can make and where my story goes right. and, and what my team is all about. Um, yeah, and I'm curious how much of that is actually going to play out in, in sure. terms of like the once you actually get into the full career, like how much of those interactions happen. Because, you know, obviously to me, it's just sort of this is just sort of the framework. This is sort of the introduction. Um, once you get into full race weekends, it's a whole different story. Um, but but yeah, you, you want to. Oh, I just wanted to ask. <laughs> So you said there's there's like different personalities that you can have. You can be a showman or you can be like a kind of a straight laced sportsman like person. Which one did you go with? Uh, yeah, well, that's the kind of the thing is I've just been sort of picking nat- answers naturally, and so sometimes the points will go one way and sometimes they'll go the is other. Unpredictable. You yeah. don't know yeah. what you're going to get. <laughs> cool. And when you sign them to the team. Um, but yeah. once uh, the but as you're talking about being intimidated getting into this stuff. This is what I'm really liking about F1 because once I, uh, 2019 is now once I'm getting into this, l- like you don't just start off in a race. And, and this has been true of, of past games is like if you want to do like the more authentic experience, like you've got practice rounds and qualifying rounds and then the race itself. And so it, it, like just getting through a single race weekend is a pretty long investment. But here, there's even more put into that, more thought put into that, because I don't just, like, show up and then start on a practice session. They, like, walk me into the pits and, like, okay, here's your workstation. And, like, you go through your workstation and here's your emails. Hmm. And you see, like, all of this stuff to where, like, they've given, like, lip service to things, like, you know, the, your your team doing research and development and all of this. Right. But now there's, like, there's actually, like a, like, a skill tree for your car. And so you look in and, and you can go in all of these different directions. Like you can um, go for your powertrain or your aerodynamics or durability or like just the overall like build of your chassis. And these things, like there's still like a realistic sense of how these things work in that if you, you know, you, okay, we want the engineers to work on the powertrain. Okay, that'll be available two weeks from now, two races from now when that actually gets delivered. Um, and, and the way that these things work is the practice round now isn't just about you going out and spending a half hour getting to know the course. There are all of these different, um, uh, they call them programs. So there's like objectives that you can choose from. So the, the one where you do get familiar with the course, what they do is they put like these, these gates on the course. There's like little blue holographic things. And so you've got to in order to achieve the the goal, you've got to hit all of those gates, not every one, but enough to get enough points, uh, but not only hit them, but hit them with enough speed so mm-hmm. that like you're actually like getting, you know, getting your way around the track appropriately. And then they also, I also did one uh, for tire wear and for fuel usage. And those are both things that, you know, in previous games, somebody will get on the radio and is like, hey, you know, you got to manage your tires better. Like, hey, you're running low on fuel. But then it just be like this frustrating thing is like, okay, well, well, what? Like, nobody's taught me how to do this. And like here, right off the bat, they're teaching you, you know, they've got a meter when you're going around those corners to show like, okay, this is how much 
you're degrading your tires. This is how much fuel you're spending. And they, t- they tell you like up front to conserve fuel. What you want to do is just like just coast into those corners, like let off the gas yeah. and coast in that corner. And then when you're coming out of the corner, you know, be a little bit lighter on, you know, uh, on your on your acceleration. And, and but you can see in real time, like how huh. doing that is impacting that and really learn how to make that work. And then as you're doing these things in the practice rounds, that's when they're getting the data. And it's essentially points that you use towards that upgrade tree. Mm-hmm. So the more points that you have, the more you can upgrade your car throughout the season and like really like making that a part of the experience and like having a more you know, well-rounded, like, F1 experience. Because F1, it's not just about how well the drivers are doing. It's, like, how well their car holds up, how well that they improve the car over the course of the season. Uh, In this upgrade tree, what sort of things are you upgrading and how substantial is each individual upgrade as you're progressing? Um, I'm not sure I can say how substantial they are, like, as as you're progressing. But, like, again, like, you're... Your aerodynamics are going to impact how you tr- how well you can turn, mm-hmm. how quickly you can turn. Uh, there are also different setups so that you can focus more on our aerodynamics and getting around the turns, or you can focus more on your your top speed. Um, and the same, yeah. And so same thing with your upgrade tree. Like your powertrain is going to affect like how high your ups, you know, your top speed can get. But if it's not balanced out with the aerodynamics and the chassis, then you know you're going to be having to deal with with drag and, and that kind of thing. Um, um, and then the durability, I, I can see, you know, mm-hmm. more likely chances of, you know, things on your car just breaking uh, unpredictably if you don't invest in durability. Did you play F1 2018 at all? No. So that's what I'm saying. I've been okay. a couple of years off. So I don't know. Okay. Some of these things could be an amalgamation sure. of things that have built right. up. Right. Because everything that you're saying, it just based on the last time that you checked in, it seems like they completely overhauled yeah. so much. Um that it sounds really, really impressive, but it's I'd, I'd like I'd be interested to see like how this directly compares to 2018, um, because if it's a huge improvement over 2018, like hats off for adding so much stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know I know that formula the Formula Two thing is new for sure. Um, I'm pretty sure that some of the upgrading and stuff has already been there. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure about all of the like practice objectives and stuff, but I think that those to me those things are the most most interesting because. Like I think what it's doing really well, and what I really appreciate with Gran Turismo Sport as well, is it's teaching you how to be a better driver, no yeah. matter how much experience you put in. Like here are ways that you can improve, uh, and uh, with you know like the Forza series, like I felt like that's where I first started getting into you know more simulation based racers, and and it and it kind of had that in the fact that it gave you more credits for turning off different assists. But as the years have gone by, it just sort of feels like they've kind of just coasted on the same sort of mechanics and, sure. and not really done anything more to introduce you to to better concepts. And it's just like, okay, we're just going to like throw a bunch of cars at you and like here's the sports, you know, here's the mu- this muscle car versus that muscle mm-hmm. car. And like they don't really like do anything to really – and in fact, in like seven, I felt like they actually took a turn back with all the modifications and stuff that's essentially made some of that like not matter. Hmm. So that's why I like, I kind of like where Grand Tourism Sport or F1 are at right now where it's like, yeah, you don't know anything about this. It's, it's fine. We're going to like walk you through it. Um, I guess maybe on the other side of that, it's doing such a good job of teaching you. And I know you've been away from these games mm-hmm. for a while, but do you ever have those, those moments where it's like, oh, I, I already know this and we're spending a lot of time 
on this this concept that I've already encountered a bunch? Um, so far, nothing has felt like that to me. The only thing that's and it kind of it doesn't even matter is uh, when your teammate and people talk to you. Sometimes I almost feel like they're talking down to you a little bit. <laughs> like I don't feel like I'm a, on equal terms. It's like they're trying to like include the tutorial with this conversation. Okay, and like. If my teammate and I are on the same Formula Two team, like they're talking to me like I don't know anything, or like I, I like, like I'm just gonna like I'm gonna show you the ropes kind of feeling. I'm like, wait, but I'm I'm on, I'm on your team, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that's a difficult position to be in where you have to address the player, yeah, and the character, and you you need to make the character seem exciting and and part of this this team. But you also have to be like, you don't know what any of this is. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a weird thing to balance. I also have to say, how cool is it that on this frame trap, you've brought three different racing games, and they're all so wildly different <laughs> yeah, yeah. from each other. Yeah. Um, but that you were able to speak so highly about all of them. Yeah. yeah. I think is really but, cool. I mean, to answer your question in terms of those practice things, like number one, they're kind of optional. Oh. You know, like you don't have to do that in practice. You can skip a practice session entirely if you don't feel like you need it. Mm -hmm. um, they're there to get, you know, those research points uh, and help you go through the, the research tree. But I feel tree. like you would want the research points. Yeah, you would points. want the research points. Uh, but then the other thing is every track is different. Mm -hmm. Learning to manage those turns and such, you know, like you, you those practice sessions are there for a reason. <laughs> You know, and and even if all you're doing is getting into the track, like that's you know important, and and figuring out like how you can do that, how you can conserve fuel on that track is going to be very different. How you conserve fuel on the next track? Do you ever get burned out with racing games? Because I definitely have moments where if I play a lot of a certain type of genre, it's not that it's it's bad. I just need something else. Um, and so I guess, do you ever does does that ever wear on you? Uh, whether it's like grinding through a racing campaign or just grinding out online or something, do you ever get tired of that? Um, I mean, it's it's weird in terms of feeling tired of it. I mean, I definitely like there's other things that I want to play, hmm. but it's like it, the, you know one of the dilemmas I have is like okay, I've started all three of these games and like all three of these games I kind of go on and get deeper into. Right. You know, so it's it's difficult. I mean, F1 is definitely like I said, it's the most intense. It's the Again, it will take, you know, probably a couple hours to, you know, just get through that first race weekend. You know, like I played it for like two and a half hours this morning. Like I didn't finish the first real race. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just kind of getting into that first practice session is all I had time for. Uh, so there's definitely a lot of investment in, in that. Uh, obviously, just when we're assigned to cover different things or when we choose to 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 cover different things there are the other thing like a different game will come at the expense of that even if we yeah. do really want to play it is there anything i guess right now that you're not playing that you really wish you were i mean there's a giant list of things but like the, the like, first thing that comes to mind oh um yeah I, I don't i don't know what the the initial thing right now is what uh, because there's just so many things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's, yeah, there's Bloodstained, there's Sekiro, there's, you know, like, I had started Red Dead back at the beginning of the year and has never, oh, like, really gotten back into Red Dead since I got knocked out of it. Red Dead is, well, the two of them that you named there, like Red yeah. Dead and Sekiro, they're just, like, such 
beasts of games for yeah. completely different reasons. Right. And you... <laughs> They take a lot of time. Yeah. And so, yeah. A lot of time, a lot of effort. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, so sometimes, like, I'll end up just playing through something shorter because... Yeah. It's like, oh, I know I can get through this and knock it out, you know. I played mm -hmm. through the, the Chris Dale's demo this week. I still need to do that, boy. Yeah. And it looks so good. Um, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's something why, with Plague Tale, it was very easy to be like, well, I'm halfway through this already. Mm -hmm. Might as well just mm -hmm. see the end. But it was also very, very good. Not not just the length that was an influence on that. Um, hopefully what was also very, very good is this week's... Kotake! So, I would not say that either of you are the, the biggest Pokemon fans at Easy Allies, but... You have an interest. Yes. There's a little bit I of a I always want to play more than I end up yep, playing. Right, <laughs> Again, right. going back to our last <laughs> point. <laughs> there has been some Pokemon controversy mm, going oh on, and uh, that's what I want to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, referencing some Polygon articles for, for this information, so thank you to Polygon. Um, so the controversy is you can't bring all of your Pokemon into Pokemon Sword and Shield. Only Pokemon from that are in the Galar region can be brought over from Pokemon Home into Pokemon Sword and Shield. Mm. And so that means that maybe, potentially, some of your favorite Pokemon will not be there. Even if you've been carrying them from multiple games, you may not be able to bring them into Pokemon Sword and Shield. People are very, very upset about this. Massively downvoting uh, Pokemon videos, coming up with hashtags like bring back the national decks. Mm. People have been very outspoken and vocal about this. Um, now, they've said part of the defense for this decision was that they wanted Pokemon animations to be of high quality and oh. they wanted them to be uh, more unique and expressive. This is not strong reasoning for a lot of people because uh -huh. they're, they're looking at some of these animations, these battle animations in Pokemon Sword and Shield, and they're, they're saying, why aren't these better? Um, but that is, <laughs> that is a reason that they have brought up. Um, and game balance was also used yeah. as a reason. Oh. You've got more than 800 Pokemon. Oh That's a lot God. of things to balance and to consider. So that, that is another reason yep. they've uh, brought up. It's unclear at this time exactly how large the Galar region Pokedex, the Galar region being the region in Pokemon Sword and Shield, will be. Um, and it should also be said that for something like Pokemon Bank, you are paying a fee for that service. You are paying a fee to store and transfer Pokemon $5 per year is what the price on that is. And so I want this. this is really bothered people mm -hmm. and i have my own opinions on this but before we get into that i want to know based on all information how do you think about the decision uh sucks for people who have been carrying their pokemon forever that's mm -hmm. a bummer like me it doesn't affect me but i could totally understand why people are frustrated mm -hmm. especially about the excuse of animations i guess where it's like people are i don't have context for past animations i haven't played since pearl so i don't know right but like that's a bummer. Uh, Brad, let me throw this at you then. So despite not really having these Pokemon that you want to bring over or having that attachment, right. you are going to play Pokemon Sword and Shield. Uh, correct, yeah. That, or that's something you've mentioned. Yeah, yes, yes. Not trying to no, 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 put yeah, you on the yeah, hook yeah. or anything. I was like, yeah, I am, right? I was right. just thinking about it. Yeah. yeah, that's just something that you've mentioned. So mm -hmm. let's just say hypothetically that you do. Does that make you worried? Like let's say you get really attached to your team or you get really into it and you do catch a bunch of guys 
And you're like, oh man, I may not be able to bring these Pokemon over into the next game if there are these these or mm. or some sort of mm -hmm. limitation. Does, I mean, it, does it plant a seed of doubt? For in your me, head? no. I'm okay with starting with new Pokemon over again. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna put Pokemon in a bank or anything like that. Like I just I'm just not that attached to Pokemon themselves. I guess like if I was, the farthest I would go is I would name a Pokemon maybe. Then in the next game, I would just make a new one with the same name. Mm -hmm. That's as probably as far as I go. So for me, it's not really a big deal to me. Okay. So despite it not being, I guess, a big personal issue to you or something that's really going to affect the way that you play, do you kind of remove from yourself, how do you feel about the situation? Oh, like I said, it's a bummer for people. Do you think it's something that they should change? If they can, I think it'd be great. I like... Even if they can't do it right away, I think a net like eventually being able to do it would be great for a lot of people. Mm. So hopefully, yeah. What's your take on it, Blood? Yeah, I mean, to me, I feel like at some point we just gotta be realistic. Okay, so what's <laughs> realistic? Like at some point, like it, it not everyone can be in every game, and maybe you know, maybe they're still on the bank, and you can bring them in the next game, and not this one or something like that. But I don't know. Like at some point. Some of those guys have got to be duds too, right? Like, <laughs> there, there's yeah. got to be some Pokemon duds. It's like, really, you really want that one? We got to make sure you want. Right, that but one that's too? that's a very subjective thing. Yeah. Sure. Uh, where something that might be a total not dud. necessarily subjective if there's you know some kind of statistics, you know, backing things sure, up. Sure, sure, but even if it's like a very small percentage of people mm -hmm. that like a particular Pokemon, even if, you, if there's some sort of statistical data out there. I mean, those people still exist. It still matters to them. Um, but you're saying at a certain point you have to move forward regardless. Right. And I think that, yeah, I mean, I think that in a way that it can hamstring your game design if, like, you know, you are just constantly trying to be, I mean, going back to Gran Turismo, great example, you know, like Gran Turismo 5, like, Got to bring all the cars that have been in all the other games. And this, okay, well, these cars look like PS2 cars. Right. Like, they, they just do. They just look bad. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so I can see that, like, that amount, trying to put that amount of detail. And again, you know, even though this Pokemon is in the most amazing looking game, it is the most detailed Pokemon game that's ever been, like, a full-fledged real Pokemon game. And so, yeah, there's a lot of just utter manpower that has to go into that. Yeah, um, I I definitely see your point, um, and I think that those are good things to bring up. However, I do think the the messaging on this has been way out of whack um, because this information is coming out now during E three. Pokemon Sword and Shield was announced before this, and then it wasn't that long before E three that we learned about Pokemon Home. And during that presentation, the attitude that I got is we realize how important your Pokemon are to you and sure. how important how attached you you get to them. And so while I also think a lot of people are going to be like Brad, mm -hmm. uh, where it's just like I it's it's not that big of a deal to me. I think what's really frustrating about it is it doesn't feel like it's kind of honoring this precedent that they've already set. Yeah, I was going to say, is this the first <laughs> Pokemon game they're doing this for? Right, so in, in, in every other game, you have been able at some point to bring over Pokemon. Right. Um, and 
you know, that might be post game, which people are okay with. It's mm. like, hey, you can't do it right away, but you can bring Pokemon over post in the post game. Cool. Yeah. And there's always been this really strong focus of, hey, you know, we're moving to it's it's been handhelds, but we're we're moving to a new generation. You can't we'll we'll figure out a way to get all of your Pokemon there. And I agree that as long as the number of Pokemon keep going up, maybe that is a more and more difficult thing to solve. But that's that's kind of what you signed up for. Yeah. Where it's like if if it's something that you've been doing for a very long time, you're going to get and you if your messaging is we understand how important it is to you and this is really important to us, I do think it is odd to say, well, now we can't do it. And it's just, again, the way that it came out. If we had started conversations with this, or if, if the reasons felt, I think, a little bit more solid, or, or like backed up in ways that people could clearly see, that would be something. But it's just, it's weird, I think, in one hand to be like, we understand how important this is to you. And on the other, being like, this is way yeah, too much that's work. that's the weird part, because they just talked about that, like the whole the whole bank mm-hmm. thing and all that stuff like that. But then, then just being like, yeah, right. it's like, not this time. And like, the not... whole reason you would want to do it to get ready for the next game. Right. And I'm not necessarily not completely on their side. I, I do think it is a tremendous amount of work, and I don't want to undersell that. And I do think there are logistical problems there. But again, I think it is how you present it. And the other thing is, I also think that this is kind of the first mainline Pokemon series on this, on something that you're going to be able to play on your TV. And I think it's a big deal to people. And I think it is something that is very exciting. And so to, to feel like it's been limited in this way uh, is disappointing. Mm-hmm. And I do think Pokemon Sword and Shield has been kind of underselling people up until this point as well, mm. uh, hardcore fans ah. especially. I was somebody that was actually very, very excited about it. Um, and then I played the E3 demo and felt like, oh, obviously a very small demo at E3, mm-hmm. not going to necessarily be indicative of the full game, and maybe there's a bunch of other things that they're going to announce. But I felt like that demo itself, in isolation, was very underwhelming. Mm. And so to kind of have that underwhelming sense just on its own and then to hear that you can't bring in all the Pokemon. Again, like Brad, not something that super affects me. I don't have all of this, this storage right. of Pokemon that I'm bringing up. But it just... Why not take more time do, to do whatever it takes? Like, if you are going to allow the transfer of Pokemon from Pokemon that are in the region, why not delay the game? Like, this is a game that people have been looking forward to for forever. People have wanted a console Pokemon for forever. Why not delay it to make that happen? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on how long the the delay takes, and they probably want to hit that date for the holidays. Right. So that's probably why. Money. Right. But then you have have Animal Crossing. Mm -hmm. It, It just... It's hard because I can't speak into the internal logistics of a company like Nintendo and exactly what's going on and and what their specific demands are. But you have an Animal Crossing delay, and the messaging is, like, we need extra time to make the game right. right. Um, And I feel like that is kind of a mentality that Nintendo has adopted Mm -hmm. with other delays. And I think that just based on how outspoken people have been, 
it would really mean a lot to a lot of people. Right. I wonder how, like, if they have data of, like, how many people actually do this mm-hmm. and if it's worth it to them right now to, 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 to delay the whole game sure. and miss the holiday season. I don't know if it's – it sounds like it's not worth it to them. Mm. So probably that's why. Um, they have gone out there and said that there are no plans right now to update it down the line and sure. do this stuff. Blood, do you think this is a case of a very vocal minority? Do you think this will actually affect the reception of Pokemon Sword and Shield to um, a substantial degree? I think it's most likely a vocal minority, but I don't know like what their, you know, what the subscription numbers on Pokemon Bank and that kind of thing are mm-hmm. like. Um, I know that to me, it seems like a neat idea to to bring your your Pokemon forward with you, but it's not something that I've ever you know, really taken advantage of mm-hmm. in, in any solid way. But again, I haven't, like, been as strongly attached to this series as some other people. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really interested. I I always think there's tremendous value in trying when possible, and it's not always possible, but trying when possible to please and honor your most dedicated of course. following. Of course. Because I, I do think that has a rippling effect where they're the people that, if they like your game, they're going to be the most vocal about it. Mm-hmm. Like, if, right. if Pokemon is their thing, if it is their number one obsession, then they're going to be the ones getting out there, talking about it nonstop, advocating for it, getting people to play it, introducing it. Because people do respond to that enthusiasm. And I think the reverse is true. I... I Again, it's hard to tell to to which degree, but I think if there's if you do upset that crowd, they're not going to let it go and right. they're going to keep talking about it, and that has to have some effect, mm-hmm. I would imagine. And yeah, I think I do think another thing to bring up is like yes, this this problem not having the national decks is an issue that people are being very vocal about, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like there's anything in Sword and Shield that are exciting people enough to kind of, like, fight against this. It's not like, hey, we don't have this thing, but we have this super cool new thing that is going to make up for it. There doesn't seem to be anything in place so far. Like, there are things that people are looking forward to. Well, I mean, just the idea of having a right camera control and be able to play on a console is enough for me to play this game. Yes, but that's not a universal thing. It's like, hey, you have this camera control mm-hmm. in certain areas. But to me, that's like a big step up for the series. Yes. As, right. as like as like small as that sounds, like the Pokemon series from what I remember is just like minimal upgrades throughout. Like yeah. very small upgrades. But now this finally feels like a bigger upgrade, I guess. So to me that's exciting, but I still get it. I still get it. Yeah. I do think it is a a big deal and something that people want, right? Like that was Kyle, that was something that Kyle was really passionate about and rightfully so. But it is also disappointing. Like everything just kind of feels like it's coming with a catch. Mm-hmm. But it's like, hey, we're making the transition to Switch, but you can't bring all your Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to allow you to have more camera control, but only in these specific areas. Mm-hmm. And so I think it is just that caveat with things that is causing. A lot of skepticism, sure. I would say. And I think it's important to, to, to point out that, like, my opinion and our opinion as Easy Allies is not fully written on uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield, but it's been interesting to see excitement or skepticism grow or decrease as time has gone mm-hmm. on and as more information has come out. Um, 
What do you think is the right call, Blood? What, if you were if you were Game Freak, Nintendo, the Pokemon company, and you were getting kind of this this outburst of concern, how would you deal with it going forward? I mean, yeah, it, it's tough because I I feel like you know part of it is is probably that they designed this game in a certain way to you know like they they wanted to take their resources and spend it on other things rather than just replicating the same Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if if they could, if they could put the the resources into it, I I, I would see the value in doing some kind of update after the fact, mm-hmm. you know, to let people yeah. to bring those in. Like even if they're not going to be running around the wild area or anything like that, it's like, oh, if you have this Pokemon, then you can have it in your party. Yeah. But yeah, even if they just roll them out slowly over time, mm-hmm. I think that'd be a lot of people would be happy with that. Like, we're going to do this amount of Pokemon here, then later on we'll continue to add them in over time. I don't know if they'll be able to throw, like, a couple hundred in at a time or whatnot. I don't know how long it takes. But I think if they were, like, actively working towards it, I think he would be happy. Yeah, and I guess maybe the the last thing that I want to say is I mentioned how valuable I think it is to... Honoring your most dedicated fans, I do think that is important. I think there's a there's a line with that, right? Like you can't every time people get upset, it's not that doesn't necessarily mean right. like you can change everything. But I think it goes a long way when you feel like you're being listened to. Yes, um, and it feels like the company is really valuing your voice mm-hmm. and like, hey, like we don't agree with everything and we can't change everything, but we're at least willing to have a conversation with you. I think maybe the frustration some people are feeling. Um, with the Pokemon series in general, is it can kind of feel like a, a stone wall where it's like, hey, I've been following the series forever and you're not making these changes. You're not like, are, are we ever on the same page here? Mm-hmm. And I think that can be a little bit frustrating. So I think a little bit would go a long way. Mm-hmm. And if it, even if it is a slow update, like you're saying, mm-hmm. I think people would feel like they're being heard. Yeah. And that would matter a lot. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess, again, my main concern is what does this mean going forward, right? Does it feel like they're just, uh, yeah. like, tied to this I think it's going to hit a brick wall eventually yeah. completely. Like, where they're going to have to rip the Band-Aid off mm-hmm. on, like, doing this and take the hit, I guess, because, like, I don't know how long they can keep this. Like, when the Pokemon gets to, like, over a 1,000 or something like that, because it's going to happen. This is just, sp- like, this idea has not been fully thought, thought through, so keep that in mind. But let's say they announce the ninth generation of Pokemon, and they go... <laughs> we've got a ton of these guys for this generation. We're not going to add anything. We're just, we're just going to focus on enhancing what everything else, everything that we've already done and like adding more new ways to play. Do you think that kind of mentality would work for a new generation or do you I don't think, know, people, man. Would I think people would be pissed too mm-hmm. about that? Like, I don't know how many Pokemon they add each generation, but uh, to me, it'd be cool if they even just added like 20 or something like that. Sure. To me, the idea is that's cool. So you're saying, like, no matter what, there should be at least some... I think that yeah. people want that every Pokemon game. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if they just improved upon everything else, to me, because I'm not a big Pokemon guy, I think that'd be fine, too. Because there's so many Pokemon I don't even know about mm-hmm. at this point. There's, like, 800. I remember the first 150, probably, and that's about it. Sure. I think they're also, depending on how they're doing this and managing this workload, I mean, there's also the potential that once they've done these, then 
it'll be easier to upgrade to the next. Sure, game. yeah, right. Going like from you're, you're 3DS going... to console <laughs> or Switch, yeah, it's, pretty big leap. Yeah, that's a big leap. So like you, uh, you know, you you can see that like with. I mean, with, like, sports games or whatever, right? Like, once you get that first sports game of the console generation, like, most people usually, are still going to play the old-gen yeah. version because <laughs> this new rough. one is not there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I could kind of potentially see see that, that we're like, okay, this time around won't have as many, but since the, that work can carry into the next game, then they'll be able to put more work into adding more uh, the second time around, third time around. All right. Well, thank you for having the the Pokemon discussion with me. Uh, are we ready for some emails? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Our first email comes in from Tyler uh, with the, the, the saying, Hey, I hope you all had an excellent E3. I know I certainly did, and it was great to see you all there. So I don't know if you guys ran into Tyler, but uh, he definitely came up to different allies, told me a great story about... Doug Bowser, which he mentions in his email. <laughs> uh, he, see, he says, as someone who follows the game industry closely and who is contemplating it as a career path, E3 is such a fun opportunity to see people who many would not recognize but who I view as sort of celebrities. Getting to take a picture with Todd Howard, Junichi Masuda, and see people like Miyamoto walk past is incredible. The most starstruck of the bunch, I felt, though, was sitting by Doug Bowser for the cyberpunk demo and seeing him chuckle at the gritty violence. <laughs> So this got me thinking, in your time in the game industry, what is the most starstruck or fanboy you felt, whether it be a convention, interview, mm. or something else entirely? Uh, Miyazaki. You thought Miyazaki was pretty pretty hype. I got to shake his hand. That was hype. Uh, shaking Katase's hand was also sweet that I got to do this year. Nice. And anytime I saw Nomura, it was like, super cool, too. Yeah, the first time that I saw Nomura in person was mm-hmm. at that... Kingdom Hearts thing? Kingdom Hearts event, and just... You were there with me, Brad, yeah. and just seeing how just tired, tired he was. Yeah, I was, I was like, like oh, just let the man sleep. Poor Nomura, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Blood, most starstruck you've been. Um, I mean, I guess the easiest thing is just, uh, yeah, Miyamoto, uh, Wind Waker interview at Dice Same. 2003, whenever. And that's, yeah. Uh, he was there along with uh, Dennis Dyack talking about Eternal Darkness as well, and so... I had Miyamoto and Onuma uh, sign Ooh. my Japanese That's copy of the Wind Waker. That's pretty cool. That is hype. Um, there's a bunch I could probably pull from, but uh, one that is coming to mind right now is just Kojima. So it oh, was nice. like pre-Ground Zeroes, I think, and we went to the Kojima Productions place in Los Angeles and just seeing him there in person for the first time, it was like... Yeah. Hey, you made the game that, that I love. is my favorite game, and <laughs> were it not for me encountering that game at the time that I did, I probably wouldn't be doing this. And so, yeah, I think it is always kind of just this crazy moment where you meet somebody that feels like they're indirectly responsible for mm-hmm. a lot of things that have happened in, yeah. in your life or at least influenced those decisions. So, yeah, Kojima was a big one. Nice. Still hoping for that uh, Kamiya interview someday. Someday. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> someday. <laughs> Our next email comes in from Troy. Oh, sorry. Can I bring yeah. up one more moment? Please. When, uh, like, I think last year, a couple years ago, we were playing Bloodstain, and Igarashi was there. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. behind us watching us play. That was yeah. super hype. Yeah, seeing Igarashi with the whip in the hat yeah, and interviewing like, him was really cool. He lives the gimmick, baby. There's <laughs> also, uh, I think it might have been that same that same year at Dice. I was just, like, in the elevator 
with Yu Suzuki and like, dude, just trying sick. to like hold my tongue. Like, yeah. <laughs> like <You> okay. Were... <laughs> yeah, it's always weird when anyone in because the... when you do this, like, it gets to the point with you guys where I I know we're talking to a sizable number of people, but mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like that. Right. It, it just feels like. Oh, I'm talking to Brad and Blood about games like we do. And so it's always weird when somebody is like, hey, I work at this, you know, insert prominent yes. video game thing here. I, I listen to your stuff all the time. It's like, oh, of course, but you just don't think about it. And so it's, it's always kind of a, a moment, I guess, when that happens. Uh, next email comes in from Troy. Final Fantasy VII original or remake first. Hi, allies. Final Fantasy is probably my favorite franchise in gaming, but oddly enough, I haven't gotten around to playing it. It's most famous entry, Final Fantasy VII. I think part of this is because I psyched myself out when the remake came out, thinking I'd play that instead. <laughs> I regret the decision now because I feel like I should play the original to give me a new understanding and appreciation for the remake. The only problem is that I don't know if I can fit in the original before March. I'm going to be starting my last year of college in the fall, and I'm mm. currently chipping away at a small handful of different backlog games, including the PS1 classic version of Final Fantasy VIII. So now I'm wondering, what should I do? Should I play Should I play the original first to have that experience, or the remake? Or am I okay to play part one before the original game? I would <coughs> very much value your professional opinion. Um, ideally, I think you should play the original, because the remake is going to be very different from the original. Yeah. From like what I've seen, it's very different. Uh, luckily nowadays too, you can just cruise through that game. You can activate cheats anytime you want, so you don't have to get stuck on anything. Right. If you just want to go through the game and see the story, it's easier than ever. I would say I would try to fit in, and if you could, yeah, I agree with that. I think I think ideally they're kind of being the the key word where it's like. If you can play the original, I do think it's going to enhance your enjoyment of the remake because you're right. able to make those comparisons constantly. But a couple of things that I want to bring up. The first is that you're like, oh, man, I need to do this by March. Like, no, you don't. No. Like, if you need some extra, if you really want to play the original, take all the time you need. Mm-hmm. The, re- the remake's not going to, like, come out in the March and then disappear. Right. You don't It'll have be there. to play it right away. I know that can be hard because you, you want to be there in the moment and the guys talking about it. I get that. I understand. Mm-hmm. But it'll still be around. Also... It's just video games, yeah. man. It's not like your education where doing things at a certain order or time will be very beneficial for your life. Right. Uh, it's, they're not going anywhere. Right. If this, if this is your favorite franchise, the, there's not really a wrong answer here. And right. so, like, don't harbor this guilt or a shame yeah. or anything like that. It's, it's okay. Just do what you can. Um, I'd also say that, I mean, what's coming out in March is... Still pretty Part much one. disc one. Yeah, not even right. disc one. <laughs> yeah. Not even disc so. one. <laughs> so maybe just play like the first bit of Battle Bit AC7 and then you Yeah, you can play the Midgar section. Right. Yeah. The Midgar section. probably be okay. Um, Blood, do you have anything that you wanted to add to that? No. I, I, I think, yeah, I would just be fine with going with the original. And yeah. yeah, I do think the original first is just to see how they've taken everything and interpreted yeah. it. Yeah. It is nice that something like a Final Fantasy VII, it's like you can, you have so many different ways to play it where you're not, it's not like, oh, I have to get track out an down old an system. Old yeah. Console, yeah. An old game. It's like so, on everything. Yeah, I'm really happy about that. And you could say that about a lot of things now. And I appreciate that yeah, it is people nice. can have that context if they so desire. Our last email comes in from Michael with my favorite headline of, of the three creatures coming to life. Oh. 
Hi, Ben and Allies. Being from Central For Florida, your recent talk with Bloodworth on Frame Trap about alligators got me thinking. What animalistic video game creature would scare you the most if it existed in real life? So I don't know for sure if he's saying like video game animals come to life or like video game animals that have animal like traits but don't actually exist. Uh -huh. I think it's closer to that second one. Hmm. Oh, I mean, like giant, gross fish thing. Right. So, yeah, that's the thing. Like a lot of them are just like giant, gi like I'm thinking like some, giant ant lion. You know, like in Final Bloodborne, Fantasy IV, dude, like oh, a yeah. great Bloodborne one or something. Great. Like no, thank you. I don't think King K. Rool is scary in the world of Donkey Kong or like in the world of Smash. But the idea of an alligator but, with legs. Right. Like if you just plopped King K. Rool down right Spooky. here, he'd be pretty freaky, I yeah. think. <laughs> oh, yeah. He'd be pretty gross. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bloodborne is good, Brad. You Like pretty much anything, yeah, anything in that from game Bloodborne. would be good. Like the spiders with like the human heads on it. Like, no. Yeah, no. 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 Don't do that. Yeah, I was going to say that, of course, like the tarantulas in Resident Evil, but that, like, Tarantulas are bad enough on their own. Yeah. So that's not, <laughs> not the best answer. Right. Um, oh, Resident Evil 4. Like, if I saw. The near Gigante thing or well, whatever. No, just like the Lost Plagas coming out of bodies oh, like that in real life. Oh, yeah, sure. no, thank you. And, and some of those yeah. mutations that you get? No. No, 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 no. Like a hunter would be terrifying in real life. Mm hmm. Like, no. Stop it. We, we, we got to do better than this, though. There's more. What do you mean? We picked Bloodborne. <laughs> uh, I guess we're, just, we're not really following the spirit of the question in some ways. I guess these are all animalistic. Um, in Silent Hill 4, there's like that, that... It's not really an animal, but it's kind of animalistic in the way that it moves. It like has the, the baby heads and is like... Walking at you with the hands. Mm -mm. Yeah, mm -mm. that thing's mm -mm. that thing's nasty. Oh, dude, the giant another bloodborne. The giant shark guys in the fishing hamlet. They're just giant sharks with legs, and they have like huge anchors they swing at you. I think the pigs would be awful as the well. The pigs, like everything, is awful in that. Everything would <laughs> everything be awful. Everything is awful. Everything. Um. I think if you brought a lot of the Mario enemies into, like, and made From them real, life? real terrifying, sure. and like they Goomba, didn't have that stylistic a Goomba nature, would be right? Like, you think about the Mario Brothers movie, and well, just, what does a Goomba actually do? I don't know. But a Goomba would be horrifying, yeah. Like, anything would be horrifying, <laughs> yeah. The Koopas like, would be horrifying, Bowser would be terrifying, yes. Okay, everything from video game and real life is terrifying, yeah. Kirby would be terrifying, Kirby would be, yeah. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Because he could just suck you up, dude. Right. Right. You'd just be Bloop. talking. You'd be yeah. like, hey, Kirby. Ah. You're dead. Yeah. You you become him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Cell. Yeah. Oh, man. When Cell is, like, sucking people up through his tail. Yeah, that's like the horror nasty. vibes, dude. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's going to be another frame trap in the books. Thank you so much to Bradley Ellis and Daniel Bloodworth. Um, if you would like to send an email into Frame Trap, talk about weird things coming to life, email askeasyallies at gmail.com. Again, one more time, that is askeasyallies at gmail.com. Um, yeah, thank you both so much, and we will see you next time. Next time.